0: My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is the founder and owner of Barbell Logic, offering strength coaching and content for men and women who crave more. Please welcome the first guest of Reformation May, Matt Reynolds.
1: This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is The renaissance of men. You are the renaissance.
0: Okay, guys, here we go. The start of Reformation May, five episodes of Men and the Reformed Christian Faith, and what a time to be hosting such a series that's been planned for weeks in advance. The Reformed world has exploded in controversy recently over the subject of Christian nationalism. Sides have been taken. Shields have been splintered. Fonts have been criticized, and the Renaissance of Men podcast has set sail right into the heart of the storm. In addition to this week's guest, who I'll introduce in a moment, here are the other guests currently scheduled in order of appearance CEO and founder of New Christendom Press, the host of the Hard Men podcast, and co host of the King's Hall, Eric Kahn, associate pastor at Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, a fellow of theology at New St. Andrews College, and author of The Case for the Christian Family. Dr. Jared Longshore, and the pastor of Coram Deo Church in Springfield, Missouri, the host of the Absolute Unit podcast, and the founder and head roaster of Reformation Coffee, Brandon Lansdowne. But Will, you might be saying, you said five episodes, and I only count four, including this one. What gives? I'm working on the fifth guest now, and it's someone you won't want to miss. Because of all the Christian denominations I'm aware of, the various branches of the Reformed faith, including Baptists and Presbyterians, are the ones going to war on the battlefield of American culture. With books, videos, documentaries, podcasts, protests, billboards, and more, my church, Apologia, which is Reformed Baptist, does 3,000 hours of ministry per year at abortion mills, outdoor festivals, college campuses, temples, mosques, and more. And that's why I wanted to do this series, so you know why I take my faith so seriously. This is not a theoretical Christian faith. The Reformers I admire put their faith into practice, on the pavement, in the culture, against the tides, in the office, in their work, and with hard-nosed content and righteous apologetics. I have found my home in faith. Bring it on. And as my friend Ryan King from the Wisdom of Kings pointed out to me, the Reformed faith is hyper-intellectual. I believe he said something like, it appeals to galaxy brains like you, Will. And while I can confirm that the inside of my head is indeed full of empty space— He has a point. The Reformed faith does often seem to appeal to men who are stronger in mind and spirit than in body and in heart, and by that I mean the seed of courage. The reasons why are multi-generational and complex, intersecting with problems in the church, the culture, and father hunger. They require their own podcast. But regardless of why things are this way, men have to learn to play the ball where it lies, and the cultural war is more than just an apologetics war it's also an aesthetics war. This is just true, even with other galaxy brains. For example, look up videos of Jordan Peterson before he became famous. Which guy would you take more seriously? The doughy, diet-coke-drinking, pale professor? Or the slim, sharp-dressed, bespoke-suited speaker we all got to know? You know the answer. Peterson might not put up big numbers in any of the barbell lifts, but he did slim down and sharpen up, so he was ready when his moment came in front of the cameras. That moment is coming for us as Reformed men. It's inevitable, because we're fighting for the founding principles of America, standing on America's biblical foundations. Many names we know, including men this month, will be leading the fight. Members of their churches will be foot soldiers in the public, and in podcasts and other forms of media. The witness that you embody matters. And men, I mean you personally. Last week, I spoke directly to women about their need to abandon feminism before it destroys them. So now is my moment to speak to the men. It's time to look the part, to begin the journey of becoming as strong in body as you are in mind, in heart as you are in spirit. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Matt Reynolds, and he's the founder and owner of Barbell Logic, an online strength training coaching program, as well as Content Empire, with a podcast and countless videos on YouTube. Matt has trained some names you know, including Brett McKay, who founded the Art of Manliness, and my friend and men's style coach, Tanner Guzzi. That's how I heard about Matt. So you can imagine how excited I was to find out that he was interested in coming on my podcast. But here's the thing Matt isn't like other online strength coaches. He doesn't posture, boast, or bluster. He's a down to earth man who's lived his struggles and transcended them. And that gives him a refreshing authenticity in an age of fraud, fakes, Cults of personality, and hucksters, you might not be surprised to learn that his transcendence has come through faith in Christ, as all true transcendence does. And so Matt has become an expert, not just in strength and barbell training, but in apologetics as well. And that's why he's the first guest of Reformation May to set the stage, chart the course, and show the way for my audience to begin taking their strength and fitness seriously for the battles that lie ahead. The beacons have been lit, men and women. Will you heed the call? In our conversation, Matt and I discussed denominationalism in the church, why Twitter isn't a real place, aesthetics versus performance improvement, delayed gratification and involuntary hardship, post millennialism and purchasing decisions, and finally, women and barbell training. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. This podcast continues to grow, and it's so gratifying to see. Please continue to leave five star ratings on Spotify and five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Plus, share this episode with a friend or member of your church so the Renaissance of Men can reach more people. And you can find me causing trouble on both Twitter and Instagram under the handle at Men. Also, don't forget the second edition of the Renaissance of Men digital conference is coming up on Saturday, June 3rd, with a lineup of all-female speakers talking about the virtues of the Proverbs 31 woman. Hit the link in the description to buy tickets now and get $5 off. Finally, the Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine beans hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne in Springfield, Missouri. We'll be talking coffee and theology later this month, but until then, this episode marks the start of my series Will Reforms His Coffee, which you can catch in the middle of this episode. I'm going to learn how to not make dirt water, so come along as I learn a thing. You can sip along with me by going to reformationcoffee.com and entering the code SUBFREE to get one free bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, the founder and owner of Barbell Logic, Matt Reynolds. Hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Me too. Thanks for, thanks for agreeing to come on. Um, and, uh, Welcome. You are the first guest of Reformation May, so
2: congratulations! Fantastic. I'm a huge fan of both the original <laughs> Reformation and the coffee. As, as am I. And we have a lot in common already. <laughs> that's right. So you know, I have got, to... got the five solas actually tattooed on my on my right shoulder. Do you know that? Do you Do you really? Yeah, I really do. Look.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Really well, do. we we let's okay. Well, I was going to say. That um, I listened to your podcast, your podcast with Eric Kahn, the Hard Man podcast. Yeah, sure, and um, I, I wanted to talk to you about some of the things that you said uh, about fitness, which were some of the clearest articulations of fitness principles that I'd heard. But since you just showed me the five solace tattoo on your arm, <laughs> I think I might, I think I might want to start there because okay. there's been something that's been on my heart today, and Uh-oh. maybe you can, maybe you can relate to this. And um, now I, I uh, was, was sort of found at Burning Man by uh, a group of charismatics, right? Who okay. were having a ministry at Burning Man. I went, I, I attend Apologia, which is a reformed Baptist church. Yes. I went to a Jesuit high school. And so I have, I'm like, I look at all these different denominations and I'm like, cool. Like everyone has all these kind of different ways to God in their own way. And I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy to litigate that. But I see a lot of attacks on Protestantism from Catholics and Eastern Orthodox mm. bros, all the time on Twitter and social media, sure. and so that's been on my heart. And so you show that, and, and I'm like, well, can we start by talking about that a little bit, and then we'll work our way to fitness sure. and some other issues.
2: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I mean, here's here's the thing. I obviously I I like having fun with my Catholic bros and my Eastern Orthodox bros. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when we're able to do that, I mean, here, here's the deal. There are things about Catholics and Eastern Orthodox that I really respect. They are, they are tremendously focused on the family, the, on Mm -hmm. Christendom on like, you know, so there's these things that I think that we can come together on. And then that allows us to open up the conversation to have the hard conversation, which is like, Oh, Hey, by the way, salvation isn't, (laughs) isn't a works-based thing. And so I, I, you know, one of my favorite clients uh, that I've that I've coached for seven or eight years, we call him the Jacked Priest hash, hashtag the Jack Priest Father John Floater. He's a he's a Catholic mm-hmm. priest up in Minnesota. He's a great guy. I've gone up and oh, wow. stayed with him. I actually I'd never been a mass before. I actually went to a mass and listen, to be clear, I've got the five solas tattooed on. I am not pro Catholicism at all. I, I'm as reformed as it possibly gets. However. I think it's important to be able to have these conversations with each other and not throw each other under the bus from the very beginning. You've seen this yeah. a lot with like the Christian nationalism movement and things like this on Twitter that, that we're having a lot of infighting here. And, and I, I want to be careful because I don't know that, that Eastern Orthodox and Catholic are infighting, right? Like, I don't know that, I don't know that they're part of the in. I don't know. Right. Uh, right. But, right. But, but I do want to have the the good conversation with them. And so What what I found is that when we have conversations that throw rocks at each other, when we throw each other under the bus, like it leads to nowhere. Like nobody changes, and I see this a lot on Twitter. I I see people making uh, posts, you know, Theo Bros, or or even even guys in my own reform community who will often make these sort of like factual, uh, inflammatory posts, or like like this is the thing, right? Like uh, whatever it is, you know, a pro patriarchy thing, or you know, women shouldn't be in the army. Period. Boom. Post. And, <laughs> Hot tank. Okay, I agree. I agree with those things. But, but to me, it's important to to actually communicate the why behind the thing that you're saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when we're able to do that. We're able to have a conversation. So, yes, I have seen uh, my my pastor Brandon Lansdowne, who runs Reformation Coffee and is the pastor at Quorumdale Reformed Baptist Church that we go to. He is set up, Brandon. The, the the Catholics, the 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 trad Catholic bros have just just crushed him this week, and yeah. um, and they're they're not very nice about it. And so, but I think the reality is that we want to have the conversation. So we like, for example, we have a, a group of guys in our church and surrounding churches, kind of a our community. We meet every Friday night at one of the guys ho- one of the guys' house, and you know we drink beer, whiskey, smoke pipes, and just talk about culture and theology and politics and whatnot. And one of our closest friends is like diehard Eastern Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And he's there every week. We invite him because, because he's part of our family. He's part of our crew. And so I want to have those conversation with those guys. I think the most important thing to draw out here is that the conversation is it's imperative that we have the conversation. And if what we do is we throw them under the bus from the very beginning, we don't ever get to have the conversation. And so, yes, we have to stand up for what's right. We have to stand up for truth. Every single time, no matter what, we're called to speak the truth. But we're called to speak the truth in love, Yes, not, not to throw the rocks. And so I think that if we're able to do that and do it well, that's... Look, nobody wants to be reproved, right? Nobody wants to be corrected. And so we have a natural defense mechanism there. When someone says like, hey, I see this thing in your life that I don't like, your natural defense mechanism is like whoa, 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 Who are you to speak about these things? But when we're able to do that with our with our friends and our brothers in love, we're able to have the conversation. By the way, this what I'm called to do as a parent. It's what I'm called to do with my my daughters. Is to is you know it's I don't want to provoke my kids to wrath to anger. That's the that's the point. So that I can have this conversation. And I've got a 18 year old and a 13 year old. My both daughters. My 18 year old. We have an incredible relationship, and she has said numerous times that she really appreciates the fact that I have never said, do the thing because I'm the emperor, because I said so, (laughs) because of what, right. There's always the why behind the thing. And then I'm also sort of, and this is, I want to be careful because I don't want to make this sound like sort of arrogant. I just, I also don't have any problem apologizing or stating what I'm wrong. And so I think, I think I've, we'll get into this. I'm sure a lot today, but man, I've lived a tough life, lots of sin, things in my past that I'm absolutely not proud of. But because of those things, I, I don't really have an ego there. And so when I make a mistake as a dad or as a husband or as a church member or whatever, it's, I, it just it doesn't bother me to come forward and be like, Hey, I screwed, I screwed this up royally. Like I got to pull my head out of my hind end and this is the thing I did. And I think we're able to do that. That leads to be able to have an actual great conversation where the goal of the conversation is to really change the mind or to elicit change in the person you're talking to. So whether that's a Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox or your kids or whatever, like if we come at it so, so tough and so forced and so hard, and so like, then we don't ever get to have that conversation. And so what I end up seeing is I see, again, I see this all the time on Twitter where these guys make these like inflammatory posts, which are correct. Like I read everything that they write. I'm like, yep, I totally agree with what they're saying. But I, I often wonder, like, what's the point? Because what we end up doing is we just further polarize each other, and you get the cheerleaders who are like, yeah, 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 you're right. This is, you know, pro patriarchy, whatever. And you get the other side that's like, ah, you know, patriarchy is terrible and it's evil. And it's like, well, aren't what we're really trying to do is elicit change? And so I think that it takes some amount of wisdom there to approach the conversation well so that we get to have that conversation at all.
0: I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. And um, and I think the thing that's I think the thing that's difficult is that um, you know I'm 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 as I'm as reformed as you are, and I thought through these issues for myself, you know, and I ha- I sure. hold the belief that with very important issues like like fundamental divides, whether it be left versus right, patriarchy versus egalitarianism, you know, yep. whatever Catholic versus Protestant, whatever I. I have thought for a long time that you can't actually properly have that argument with somebody unless you are prepared to articulate the opposing position as well or better than your own, sure. right? So, so it's like, so I've put myself into a lot of these opposite mindsets. Like, for example, I used to be super liberal and progressive. I was part of Occupy Wall Street in San
2: Francisco for a year. I was a... By the way, I, was, a, I, was, in, I was in Manhattan the day that ca- started. Oh, wow. I was actually in Manhattan on business. I think it was the first time I ever was ever in Manhattan in my life, and and I was down on Wall Street. And these people, came and I was like, "Who are these crazy hippie people with all the signs?" It was day one of Occupy Wall Street, and I actually saw oh, it. Wow. I, I've got it. I got video on my cell phone. Super weird, right? You
0: should you should post that because that was actually oh, was you. that was a that was not no. I was in San Francisco. I was right, I, was I know, also but, but I was you
2: were part of the movement.
0: I, yeah, I was, and so I was I was inside that, and now I couldn't be further on the other side. But I understand. Yeah as much as it's possible to understand the mindset and can argue against it from within. You know, this is, these, are the, 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 these are the logical inconsistencies. Now, I don't mean to compare Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy to Occupy Wall Street. That's not my intention. Sure. But my intention is to say, there, it seems that in all the significant debates of our day, we're yelling at each other for, from our own particular perspective, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to get within the perspective of the person sitting across from us to try and sure. understand them and to try and bridge to try and bridge that gap, and I think that's the thing that I find so difficult is you have a whole lot of well-meaning men and women who are trying to move forward on a Christian basis to rebuild society. And of course, this also ties in to the Christian nationalism debate that's been happening. And it, you just go onto social media, and it's like, why are the adults fighting? Why is everybody yep. yelling? And 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 I guess to some extent, Twitter doesn't allow you to get within. The, the mindset of another person because we're all starting trying to score uh, points in the in, in with the audience sure but I think it's imperative that we begin having that conversation in such a way it's like what does this person believe and why and how can I understand from within their own mindset so we can have like you said a real conversation and I just don't see I don't see that happening with this fundamental historical divide now it's Reformation may and we so we dive right into the Protestant Reformation rock and roll did not see this coming but I appreciate it. And and I guess I guess the thing that that burns that, that burns my heart about this is that we're not going to work this out on Twitter, guys. This <laughs> not right. where this is going to happen. Yeah. Councils and burning at the stake and executions and arguments and letters and tracts and books and libraries. We're not going to sort it out with two hundred and eighty characters at a that's time right. on Twitter. And so I guess I guess I'm I'm just hoping I'm hoping for better from my brother sometimes, but sometimes yeah, does feel like we get
2: Friday that night conversations that we have around yeah. the campfire with my with my brothers that that's where we get to work it out and so you know i, I it's it's easy to forget that twitter's not really a real place right and it's real that's people right. there right. and but but the reality is is like you can't really you can't um build a relationship not not for real in a, in a place like twitter and so twitter's a place it's a it's you know it's the it's the town hall it's the place where you get to post the ninety-five theses on the wall. Like yeah. that's where it would have been done if it were today. And so those things get to be done there, but but you don't really get to really kindle a relationship. And um, those things are done around good food and good drink and in a house and in person. And uh, and and that's where I think real change uh, comes in, is you're able to talk through those things. And I, you know, it's funny that the the guy that is a Eastern Orthodox friend of ours. Um, he, he comes from the reformed background. So he knows everything that we believe. He was as a matter of fact, I met this guy. I met this guy who yeah. was by a, a John Owen book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. That was the the first the one I met this guy, that's the book he was buying. <laughs> now he's Eastern Orthodox. Wow. So so I I can't teach him a lot about what we believe because he knows. And so I spent a lot of time, or we spend a lot of time, asking him questions about Eastern Orthodox because I want I want to learn for the very reason that you said. I want to understand obviously you know nobody nobody comes to the table thinking that they're wrong or they're evil they think they're right like, mm-hmm. this guy genuinely thinks he's right and so you're exactly right i have to understand why does he think he's right and what is the thing that changed his mind and so it's important for me and it's also very important to me to be really solid in my faith to be able to go into that because obviously there's something that occurred with him that that changed his faith along the way and so I think this is why it's so important that we're steeped in, in scripture and the gospel and understanding what, what we are getting into so that, so that we can talk to these people and have this tremendous conversation to, in effect, elicit change. Uh, we know that, that God's word doesn't return void. And so every time that I'm able to speak that truth into him, I certainly hope and pray that God is softening his heart. But I also understand that God could be hardening, right? And so that's God's job, not mine. And, um, mm-hmm. so I, I preach and promote the gospel and, and the word of God, and I'll let God uh, do what he does after that. I'm just called to, Amen. I'm just called to share the good news.
0: Amen. I agree. I, I have experienced the same. And, you know, I love my, I love my Eastern Orthodox bros, some of which I talk to very often. And it's, and to feel the, to feel the hardness of heart when they begin attacking Protestants. And it's like, guys, like, maybe you don't mean that to be me. But that includes me. And not only does it sure. include me, it includes, you know, Pastor Doug Wilson, Jeff Durbin, sure. Charles Spurgeon, you know, Bonhoeffer. Like, you pick. And it's like, are you going to really tear down generations of good and godly men? And, yep. and that's the part that's difficult. Is like, is there, is there, room, is there room in your heart? And this is, this is true for all men and women, too. Is there room in your heart for someone who on the surface might seem different from you in some important way? But at the core, there's something very important that you have in, in common. Now that you can That's take true. this principle too far, you can and you can give to, you can give truly wicked people too much of a line of credit. And I think for sure. I think probably we're all guilty of that at some point in our lives. Certainly, our society would be, and we'll get into that. But there's a point at which the hard edge becomes so counterproductive in advocating mm-hmm. for your own belief that you actually drive away potential allies. And where sure. do we? Like how how do we as men, and maybe to take the conversation into a, a broader perspective, how do we know when advocating for the hard edge that gives us our productive edge as men actually becomes something cutting to potential allies? Because I see this that's happening right. a lot. The Christian nationalism debate, for example, is a great example. Yep. It's a great example of this that's been going on for the past week or two. It's like all these all these men that are engaged in this debate are hugely insightful, incisive men that I respect greatly their minds For their sure. intellects their resumes their accomplishments their books all of these things i respect greatly and they've turned these edges on each other and yep. like okay so there's there's a point at which like yeah let's all let's all take shots at each other but it's like guys it's it's been a few days now can we can we back off this a little bit For sure. so when do we how do we know as men when we cross that when well, we cross really, that threshold?
2: i mean it's really public i mean this is the my other issue with my yeah. like twitter is like it's you know, having that same conversation, I think of that same conversation that occurred among some of these guys that also I, I very much respect. If they just called up each other on the phone, this would be taken yeah. care of instantly. I mean, within five minutes, the thing would be taken care of because it's posted on Twitter. It's posted on social media in this place that doesn't really exist. And it just, it it, mm. it just pours fuel on the fire. And so, you know, look, uh, certainly we, we have to stand up for what's right, period. I, and I want to be clear about that forever, that, that we we never, we never stand for something that's not true. Um, so we stand for truth. But but there is a way to do that in love, and there's a way to do that with some charity. There's a way to do that with thinking the best of other people. And so, and and again, I would just argue that like when you stand up for truth, what is the purpose of standing up for truth? Or is it just to make a statement to like plant the flag? And you know, there are times when we do that. We're like, no, this is ridiculous. I'm planting my flag here, but most of the time that we're standing up for truth, the goal is to actually change the mind or change the heart of other people. And so, if hmm. we're not able to do that in love, then we got a real problem. It didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it? Wasn't efficacious? It didn't. It didn't bring about the effect that we wanted. And so, I think that's why it's so important to be able to do that with some wisdom. Um, and that's that's hard. It's really hard today in our super polarized world. You know. It's, polarized as we are politically and culturally. And it's a, it's, it's a mess. And, um, but you know, so the last church I went to the same church that, that Brandon, my pastor now was a pastor of, uh, he was one of the, one of the pastors there. Um, I was in a life group, a, you know, a small group that we led and I'm in my mid, forties, my wife and I, you know, we've been married almost 25 years and we were really like parents. The other people in the life group that they were mostly millennials and some Gen Zers. And uh, man, they were pretty liberal, I would say. Pretty liberal, Mm -hmm. not super woke, but like pacifists. They weren't pro 2A. They were, you know, they were, they were, I don't really know what I think about whatever these sort of social issues. And um, we were able to have really great conversations with them because we didn't, because we didn't throw them under the bus. Because mm-hmm. we understood like there was a time when we were 22 and we didn't really have it all figured out. Not that we have it all figured out now, but we also were sort of questioning, you know, where we stood politically or whatever the thing was. And so I think as soon as you pronounce someone as an idiot or that yeah. they're, you know, they have low IQ. Oh, my dog went nuts. Sorry. <laughs> Is, uh, I got a new puppy in the house. Hey, hello. Uh, it's all right. Sorry about that this is actually the story of the puppy is it was my pastors. My pastors had a, a elderly lady live next door. She fell and broke her back two weeks ago and oh. they had this cute little Boston Terrier and uh, she had this cute little Boston Terrier. They saying, what are we going to do with this Boston Terrier? And we're like, Oh, we'll babysit it for a week or two. And then she was like, I want him to take the puppy. <laughs> so I inherit. Oh. So I, inherited, I inherited, inherited this, this uh, dog. She's, she's in rehab. I think she's doing okay. Uh But yeah, she, So it was tough. So he's still learning and he's looking at the front door barking at other dogs go by. Anyway, it's a, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a tough, it's a tough conversation to have. It's one that I think that I don't care how good you are at it. It's one you're going to make mistakes on. um, But we have to continue to try to speak the truth in love. And I think it, it, it almost sounds like I'm oversimplifying things, but that's it. That's what we're called to do. We speak the truth always, every single time, no matter what, in love, every single time, no matter what. If we do those two things, if we do that well together, then we get to have the right conversation that that allows potentially the gospel to change people's heart and mind, which is what we want.
0: Can I um, can I play devil's advocate for a second? Sure, because obviously, obviously, I agree, and and I've seen the power of speaking truth in love in in my own life, and and that's uh, that's something that um, that I've been learning. Uh, to get to get better at, because I can be quite hard edged in my own ways, sure and and I know and we're we're called to do that, however, I think a lot of men are, are raising the question like at what point do we actually like maybe maybe we need to expand the definition of what it means to speak in love because sure. where does so where does speaking in love, which I think we hear uh, in English the, you know because there's only one word for love, it means all like, four different things, we hear the word love and we mean something perhaps soft. Um, yep. I don't want to say, I don't, maybe a um, motive, maybe feminine, though not necessarily effeminate. There's a softness sure. to it. But yep. there's also a way in which we have to learn to speak the truth in love with a hardness to it, that no, that no is a loving word. And so, how can we as men learn to speak the truth in love and have that, and have that in love, speaking that truth in love, have a, have a firmness to it, like right? an unyieldingness yep. to it? Like, where, where does no, that come in?
2: it has to come in right and I, I think this is where we're we have to be um, we have to use wisdom and we have to listen to the holy spirit and we have to use the model that we were given in scripture to be able to do this i you know jesus wasn't always soft that's for sure i mean at some point he's mm. flipping over tables right so it's it's and so there are times we have to go to people and say bro bro look at this thing like this is a problem and that's okay right that that is the best way Look, if, if I had a friend who was cheating on their wife, like, I'm not going to be soft about it. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to go, Will, dude, what are you, you're throwing your life away, man. That is truth and love that, that is like, and you can say like, dude, I'm telling you because I love you because nobody else will tell you this. You're, you got to pull your head out of your hind end, but you're throwing your life away. And and by the way, I think it's often really important to be able to. If there's times that you can you can be honest about your own previous sins, I have these things in my life. We can get into these. I there was Mm. a time ten years ago I was I I had affairs on my wife. This is I've been pretty open about Mm. this stuff. Um, God has completely reconciled our marriage. It's an amazing marriage. Uh, But that that actually gives uh, absolutely Um, what I was such an amazing wife. But that's opened up the opportunity for me to actually speak that truth in a, in a harsh reality. Because like I said, I was there. Like, dude, I, I know what it feels like to throw your life away with this stuff. You are chasing mm. this thing that is fleeting happiness for a day that will bring about no joy whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it's going to bring about death. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's the way we're, we're able to do that. So for me, speaking truth and love, even when it has to be harsh, even when it has to be hard, I think it's important to not come across as, as the self righteous elder brother, right? To be very honest and very truthful with the friend or family member or whoever you're speaking to that's that's in sin. And I think it's often very important and and usually um, valued and respected to talk about like this is how this is how a sin similar to this or this same sin actually affected my life in such a negative way. Like that's why I'm able to speak about this. And so, you know, you don't have to make up. I've never been addicted to black tar heroin. So I, I can't, <laughs> if I'm talking to somebody, I'm are like, hey, this is... But, I, but I've been addicted to stuff. And so I think to be able to sympathize on some level, like, hey, it's not trying to sympathize with the fact that they're sinning. It's to say, I know what it was like to be here. And I know how much death it brought. I know how much destruction it brought me. And I see this in your life. And so, but, but again... These are conversations that you have with real people who you've developed real relationships with, not on Twitter. And I, yes. I still question when someone... like I, I actually don't know. If you ask me this question, I'll just be honest. I don't know what we do about calling out sin on Twitter. Because I, don't, I don't know how much... Like, okay, we're going to castrate kids. Like, okay, I'm going I'm to stand up against that. Right? But the reality is I don't have any relationships with those people. And so right. I don't know how much change it. So there's a time when I feel like, okay, there are times when I need to like plant my flag and say, this is wrong and this is right. And I'm going to stand up for truth. But ultimately what I'm really trying to do when I'm calling something out, when I'm calling out, sin, I'm trying to reprove someone. I'm trying to correct. It's someone that I actually have a relationship with my kids, my wife, somebody in my church, somebody in my community. It's one of my employees. It's like, you know, and, and, and that's who I'm called to correct. I'm not, you know, again, we've talked about this before. Like, I'm, I I am under the authority of my pastor, Brandon Lansdowne, in my church. I'm Thank not you. under the authority of all pastors. Joel Osteen's not my pastor. He's not going to give an account for my soul, mm. right? And so, and so, at, at what level do I actually need to get up and and spew that what Joel Osteen's doing is prosperity gospel crap? Well, it is prosperity gospel crap. But I like I don't I don't know. You know, so I, honestly, I'm a honestly asking the question i don't know twitter bothers me with some of those things where I'm like i try to have great conversations with people that i generally know things that are edifying things that are encouraging but like i don't know where where our role is there to call out other people that we don't even know when we hear about a sin that they're committing i don't know that's certainly not addressed in the bible there wasn't a time when it's like oh you know you can just get on and type 180 characters and like let people you know i don't know I don't know. So it's tough. So what I know is that we are called to have those talks with people we're in relationship with, that we are doing life together with. And I think we're called as, as men to have a bunch of those great relationships. I have great relationships with other men in my church. And there was a time when I didn't. I, there was actually a time when I, I thought, I don't really need guy friends. Like my wife is my best friend and I've got my family and I've, you know, I've got employees and stuff. But like in general, I don't need. And then I realized like I do need that. I do yeah. need that. I need other men to pour into me. I need to be able to pour into them. And so those are the guys that I'm able to elicit change in and they're, and vice versa them for me uh, on a daily basis. And so we meet each other for breakfast. We we, we meet for discipleship at lunch. We go after work to the brewery. We do, And those are the conversations. I'm not worried about the conversation on Twitter. I'm not worried about changing somebody's life there. Or somebody trying to change my life there. It's that these are the real relationships that matter. So yeah, man, sometimes... You know you have these really kind conversations like is sort of the soft, feminine truth and love sort of thing, and then sometimes you have those conversations that are really hard, and you say, man you're, you're screwing this all up and uh, and I think both are in love yep.
0: for mm-hmm. sure I think with regard to Twitter, I mean there's so much that we could choose to be outraged about every single yeah. day like how many how many different, absolutely terrible things? Are going on that are truly morally represent, reprehensible, socially reprehensible, yeah. theological—all those. Like I, I could, I could be outraged about a thousand different things all day, yeah. and it almost—I it, think it—I think it is a trap, because as soon as you start getting outraged about X, you, then you have to get outraged about Y, and then Z, That's right. and then you're, you're trapped in the outrage washing machine, just tumbling over and over again. Right. for days, and the
2: dopamine and all that stuff, and and people accuse you. I, say, well, how come you got to? Uh, outraged about this thing, but you're not outraged not. about this thing. And now you're like, exactly okay, so now I'll just be outraged about all the things.
0: Right. That's right. I mean, that's literally what I was just about to say. You read my mind. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're out- so outraged. So why aren't you outraged about this? It's like, well, yep. you know, that's why, that's why I try really hard and I think I'm doing a pretty good job not being outraged about anything on social media. I just don't, right. I don't give into that. If, the, if, the entire, yeah. if I see the entire herd moving with a subject, let's, let's all talk about Tucker. Like, No, (laughs) you know, let's all talk about this thing. No. In fact, you know, what I tend to say is like everyone like calm down. The outrage is what they're looking for, right? That's right. Now, and if I'm more, and if I'm more willing to get outraged about things happening in the public sphere, than I am willing to get, I guess, appropriately outraged about the things that I'm doing wrong in my own life, in my own relationships. There's a there's a problem there because I'm channeling that energy inappropriately. If I'm if I'm spewing all this invective towards some political figure or whatever or some social figure I don't like, that's energy that's being wasted that I could use to fix my life. And I think that's the trap. I think that's the trap
2: for sure. Yeah, I learned a good. There was I went to uh, to fight, laugh, feast this past year when the the cross politic guys and it was great actually. I I was on the cross politic podcast. They they had me on there. And of course, they're, <laughs> they're our Presbyterian brothers. And uh, <laughs> I'm a Reformed Baptist. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was right after the tranny thing came out, if you were if you were paying attention to that. Oh, they yeah. come oh, out on their man, podcast and yeah, yeah, yeah. said, Baptists basically, Baptists drove sort of the culture for building trannies. And and what they meant was, <laughs> yeah, understand, I understand, big evangelical Baptists, and that's fine. But, you know, they didn't differentiate and so say like, well, oh, exactly. we got a whole bunch of like really, Really good reformed <laughs> Baptist Brothers. Anyway, so I was on the podcast. <laughs> I got a, um, we a Baptist it was great. Church. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And so, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, you're, yeah, when you're, James White actually came on and, and, uh, debated them about that. Uh, I Phoenix remember Hatter. that. So he did yeah. great. Um, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's like that I did learn that I was actually concerned about this when I went to Fight Laugh Feast. So they invited me out as a guest. They treated me, they treated me great. I got to go to all the specials. So I got to hang out with Doug Wilson, eat lunch with him and sit at the same table. And all this. it was great. Um, wow. and, but I went in and I was kind of like, are we, are we fighting for the, to be on the, the sort of edge of the inflammatory response? Like what is the thing that's, you know, we're going to try to like catch fire with whatever the thing is today. And, um, and, and I did learn a good lesson when I went out there. They, they, they did make a, I, they impressed uh, me with their perspective that we are called as brothers to refine each other, you know, iron sharpens iron, to, to fight in a good manner, fight in love, and, and to laugh together in a feast together. Like, that's the point of the thing. It's like we have great conversations and, and hard conversations and we argue about things. That, that, and so, so I do see it from that perspective. I do understand that it's there. As a matter of fact, it did sort of change my... Dealing about some of that, but at the same light, when you go back and think about like the conversations that we've seen this past week, you know, this these guys that we all love and and respect fighting over something like Christian nationalism. We're like, what's the definition of Christian nationalism? That's that's the yeah. that's really the source of the argument. Like, what is it? is that like a is that like a white nationalism thing? Is it is it rooted in racism, or is it like, oh, we want Christian families and Christian churches and Christian schools and Christian nations like that's you know and so this is kind of like the two sides of the things and there's a part of me that wants to go like hey guys we're killing millions of babies can mm-hmm. we just get on can we just like we can agree with that right and by the way we can agree with that with our catholic and eastern orthodox brothers too this we're castrating children like do we understand do you understand what we're arguing are we really arguing about the definition of Christian nationalism?" Right, Like that's, that's the point, right? Is that it's like, and so, yes, I do understand. We have to have hard conversations with our Catholic and Eastern Orthodox brothers. And sometimes with our Presbyterian brothers, like those are, but those are good conversations that are in the household that we can have. But I think it's really, really important for us to come together and go like, do we understand what's really important? What's really important is a complete and utter disaster that's going on in our country right now, which is killing millions and millions and millions of babies every single year and mm-hmm. castrating children and LGBTQ plus, oh man, the plus scares me. I don't know about you. The plus yeah. is the scary one because um, yeah. that's the pedophiles. And so whew. anyway, so I, I think we'd be well served to, to be able to understand where the gravity really sits in these arguments and go like, yeah, I don't know that the definition of Christian nationalism really matters.
0: Right, right. And I appreciate it. But um, Bodie Bacum says and said about that it's like well when people ask me this is these are me paraphrasing his words and people ask him you know what what are you a christian nationalist he's like well it depends on what the definition is right Right. so maybe we need to land on a definition and that's why i love going to the church that i go to you know apologia with jeff durbin and james white in fact uh one of the one of the elders uh, i think it was pastor zach said in services, maybe a month or so ago, he said, "Apologia does three thousand hours of evangelism per year," and I was, I was that, I was out there, and including at abortion mills and the Mormon temple, and you know, and, and on Mill Avenue, the, the College Town, and Arizona State, you know, Islamic temples, debate all that stuff. And I, I was, I was part of the evangelism team that went out to the Super Bowl. For those listening, we didn't go into the Super Bowl. Some people said, well, where do they get all the money to pay for those tickets? We did not go into the Super Bowl. We were outside the Super Bowl. We were outside, actually, um, um, Guy Fieri's Flavortown. So I've done evangelism nice. at Flavortown. You yeah. know what I'm <laughs> right? saying? So, uh, but you know, to get to be out there, to actually do that, it's like, can we meet? You don't necessarily have to do that much evangelism, but can we meet there? Can we meet at the line yep. between Christ and the world? Can we yep. meet at the line between saved, and, and sinners, right? Can we meet there instead of in the back room arguing about 500-year-old or older theological topics that the sure. wisest men of their days could not work out That's in right. person? We're not going to be like, we're not going to work this out, and we're not going to work this out in public on Twitter, right? Like, maybe we'll work it out together, coming to an agreement that there are some things that we just can't reconcile. But For the sure. one thing that we can agree on is that we live in a fallen world. You know, I love what C.S. Lewis says, we are, we are an invasion, we're an infiltration of a fallen world trying to bring sinners into reconciliation with God. Yep. Can we meet there instead of bashing on each other theologically? I, okay. I, I, see, it as, I see it as counterproductive. But I mean, again, I guess we are all, all, we are all sinful men and we don't have the ability to fight it out with fists anymore, so we fight it out with words. And that's an improvement, but it also can be really counterproductive many times. For
2: sure, absolutely.
0: So I, I want to talk about, um, I want to ask you about the tattoo because, um, okay. you, you have the five, soul, you have the five souls tattooed on your arm. And so what's actually, what's the story behind that tattoo? I, I, yeah. I, I guess it means, I guess it must signify something that what your faith did for you at some time in your life. Like sure. what motivated you to get that tattoo? There it is yeah. right there. I didn't even ask yeah, about so, it.
2: No, it's a great question. Um, so I'm, I am in my mid forties. I probably, if I could go back and do it again, I probably would not get any tattoos, this is the your sure. typical thing that that our generation did when we got in our you know our early twenties. Um my first tattoo is I actually have Atlas over here. <laughs> so it's I when I when I won my pro card in strongman, uh, and this is and certainly I was not uh not really uh secured my faith at the time, but uh I got a tattoo of Atlas and then I and then in the aftermath in uh in in two thousand eight, two thousand nine in the aftermath of the affairs and the and the the struggle um, and God really reconciling me back to Himself and, and to my wife. Um, I was in search of any any depth of gospel that I I wasn't getting at the church I was going to at the time. So I was just mm. it's not even it's just I was going to a typical um, you know seeker sensitive sort of shallow big evangelical type church in. And they offered me nothing in the midst of uh, I had tried to destroy my life with with mm. infidelity. And, um, you know, it was just it was really, really hard. And so so I got online and I started researching everything I could to find, you know, great pastors, pastors that teach doctrine, like theological giants, like I was searching whatever. And and I discovered guys like Matt Chandler and Mark Driscoll and Tim Keller and John Piper and guys that I would not agree with today. Guys that guys that I uh, certainly wouldn't be as high on now as I was then. But at the time, it was such such a. I mean, this is you know, this is eleven, twelve years ago. It was such a breath of fresh air to to discover that. And so all of those guys were Calvinists. They weren't all Reformed. They called them the Young Restless and Reformed at the time, right? So and I say that because I mean they, they just weren't. Um, you know, they, they weren't confessional. They weren't, they weren't Westminster or 1689 mm. or anything. So they, they were certainly Calvinist. And so um, I started going down that path of like, and I really struggled with Calvinism for a couple of mm. years. I mean, like, I really struggled with it, especially like limited atonement and some of those things. And so, yeah. so certainly I could, I could grasp like the depravity of man, of course. Like when you're coming out of like the situation I had just come out of, like, absolutely, we're all depraved. I got it. And you, and you realize over time that all all five of those, uh, really rise and fall on each other. And so, if one is true, they all end up having to be true. And so, yeah. Um, over time, I, I very begrudgingly, reluctantly became a Calvinist. And um, and then once you do, and then I I don't know that I ever had a really intense, uh, cage stage uh, as an early Calvinist. I remember getting it. My, my I'm a Southern Baptist preacher's kid. My dad my dad was a Baptist preacher and. Wonderful father, I lost him uh, a little over a year ago now to Lewy body dementia, pretty young in his in his uh, early sixties. Uh, but he was not Calvinist, and um, and um, so we had some really intense <laughs> discussions in those days. Uh, but I think I think the tattoo signifies the fact that it was like there was there was a a reawakening for me of the gospel when I discovered. Uh, the depths of of how good it is and so until you until you really desperate you know i i had lived most of my early life as a self-righteous older brother i was the baptist preacher's kid that didn't party didn't drink didn't smoke didn't cuss didn't have sex didn't do drugs you know all those things and then i went through this period of my life when i was the prodigal and cheated on my wife and did these terrible things and and when you actually need the gospel when you actually need forgiveness when you beg for forgiveness the the weight of that finally hit me and so and so i as i was certainly i don't hold calvinism anything above the gospel whatsoever but i think the five solas for me this these are the things that really matter these are the you know that scripture matters faith alone grace alone scripture alone christ alone glory god alone yeah like like you you realize like Oh, we've made it so much more than that. We've we've added all these man-made rules and all these things. And like there was actually this return back to these are the things that matter. And so so it was a big deal to me. And and um I, I also have a I have a I graduated with a double major in history and religious studies. I really enjoyed learning about the Reformation uh in college. And um and so even before, which is funny, when I was getting my undergrad, I wasn't I wasn't reformed, I wasn't a Calvinist then, but I was just really interested in Learning about that stuff, and so learn about Luther and Cowan and Zwingli and and those guys, and so so when it when it ended up becoming a real important part of my life, um, yeah, I decided to go go get the tattoo. So so it's cool. I'm glad I've got it, but uh, I don't know. As a 45 year old CEO of a multi million dollar business, I probably wouldn't. Like you can see it popping out of my sleeve everywhere, you know. So I'm like, unless I wear long sleeves. Mm. If I'm at a business meeting, I got to wear long sleeves and roll the sleeves up. And so uh, you know, it's fine.
0: So that's the story. Yeah, I've got. I mean, I've got my arms are covered in, in pagan symbols. I'm actually going to visit yeah. a friend of mine in uh, Carson City, Nevada, in June, and uh, he he recently opened a tattoo shop. So he's he said he would start covering some of these up for free. Nice. So <laughs> uh, I mean, I can't I can't untattoo myself. All I can do is just dedicate them to Christ. So that's right. actually, I, I wanted I want to talk to you about about this background in uh, in. He said it was a history history and theology. Is that what you said? Yeah, history and religious uh,
2: studies. Yeah.
0: History and history and religious studies that's not what someone would expect from the guy who ran a, a, a right. who runs a barbell strength training kind of company yeah. and this is this is the thing that this is the thing that makes you you is that you put these things together so I don't know if you want to share some of the things that you most right. appreciated learning about the Reformation because church history is new for me I went from the new age sure. basically blew through you know my, my friends who um, who I met at Burning Man, who were charismatics, blew through there and went right into Apologia, straight into like you know six point Calvinism, you right. know, Reformed <laughs> Baptist. And it was like it was the fa- probably the fastest theological turnaround in history. That's right. And I I love it, but I haven't yet dug into uh, to the history of the Reformation quite yet. I haven't gotten there yet.
2: So sure. I'd be I'd be fascinated to hear anything that you have to share sure. that was important to you about these things you learned. Sure. I mean, so it was kind of interesting. I I. I, I, I'm a bit of a renaissance man with this, which is probably right for this podcast, I guess that so I studied I. a lot of different, a lot of different things. And I wanted to be an architect my whole life growing up as a little kid. Uh, my I dad was actually, a civil engineer and a pastor that had graduated as a civil engineer before he got saved. And uh, I wanted to be an architect. I went to school to be an architect, uh, was actually the youngest uh, architect intern in the state of Missouri. I had to take the, what is their version of like the bar exam to do that. i, I passed it and thought that was the direction I was going to go. The architect firm really blew up while I was there. Um, and, and it grew like crazy, but I, I watched in the time period that these guys, and I was, I was like 17, 18, 19, 20 years old in that ballpark. Um, got engaged to my, my now wife and uh, I watched these guys, they got divorced, their kids hated them. They work 80 hours a week. And I was like, Oh, this is not what I want to do. It's Actually hilarious to tell this story now as the CEO of a company where I work way too much anyway. <laughs> and so so, but at the time i was like i don't yeah uh i don't think i want to work 80 hours a week and be an architect and do this thing and so uh my wife was uh was going to school to be a teacher be kindergarten teacher and uh, i thought well that'll be okay we'll both be public school teachers this will be great (laughs) so so i went to school for history and i loved i loved religious studies and and had enough hours to get the minor and i was like well how many more hours to get the major and so ended up doing that as well and i just i just I loved history and I loved church history and I loved I loved the is uh is Israeli uh, the Arab Israeli conflict that was super interesting too as I should have a minor in that. And so it's just I don't know I just studied the stuff that was interesting. And so you know I mean listen the reformation's wild because you get this you get this you're coming out of the dark ages. I mean like where mm-hmm. nothing progresses for hundreds of years. And then you get the Renaissance and the Reformation kind of back to back. And, you know, you've got Martin Luther who didn't want, I mean, he literally wanted to reform the Catholic church. It didn't really reform. That's funny. We call it the Reformation. Yeah. It was like, it was was a complete destruction of like it was, you know, and, and you get Protestantism. And so, but the guy actually wanted to be a Catholic priest. I mean, he was a Catholic priest. And, and he saw these problems. He saw these problems in the Catholic church of things like indulgences where you're like, Oh, I'm going to go cheat on my wife next week. And what kind of money do I need to pay to go ahead and get pre forgiveness for this thing? And he was like, that is a problem. And it was a problem. And, uh, and Catholics to this day would say it is a problem. And so, um, you know, he, he just dove into Romans, which is my favorite book of the Bible. It's just beautiful. Um, Theological dissertation is like systematic. Paul's systematic theology, is what it is. And so you yeah. get to read. I mean, it literally is just this sort of perfect, logical, pragmatic, and I mean that in a positive way of, of this is the presentation of the gospel. And, and um, of course, he's, you know, Luther spends the rest of his life sort of running. And, you know, and, and I, I love that Luther says, like, unless I'm t- convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, I, I will not recant. And it's like, this is the only thing that matters. Like the scriptures are the only thing. And unless that convinces me like, no, this is, you're wrong. This is right. This is. And so I was just really, um, I was really impressed by that. I was really enthralled. You know, think that the guy gave up everything in his life because he was so convinced at the power of the gospel. And, and it's, it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. And of course, of course, we're, we're, huge John Calvin fans. And I don't know that we've ever had a single sermon by Brandon uh, where he doesn't quote Calvin at least once in the, in the, mm. in the sermon. Um, the guy is just the best expositor commentator who's ever lived. I mean, the guy I can't, I I would love to have gone back and just even if even have 30 seconds of video on these guys, like he had to be autistic. <laughs> he had to be, he had to be Asperger's like, you just, I mean, and I mean that in kind Maybe. of a joke, but you know, like, the, how did they possibly, how did they possibly write all they wrote, read all they read, like expounded in the way, I mean, the guy, like, the institutes are, I could write every day for the rest of my life and I would never even sniff as much as this guy wrote. So it, it was just, yeah, it'd be really interesting to know what kind of, I mean, certainly that they didn't have the internet, they didn't have Twitter to, to distract them. Yeah at the time yeah, they were they were so, on their um, phones all day yeah that's right uh but man the amount the amount of work that they did so it's just really it's really cool to me to see what these guys did coming out of this like hundreds of years of sort of nothing sort of wasteland of the dark ages the middle ages to come in and and this just everything flourished and of course you know then that that sort of gave way to the rise of 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 this sort of pagan philosophy as well coming out of this, out of the uh, Renaissance and, and what we saw in the early in early uh, United States and, you know, in the late 1700s. And so, so it, it wasn't all great. Um, but it was interesting to, to watch guys think and to see what they were able to put together when they really, when they really focused on the power of scripture and, and, and what they were able to put together. So, um yeah, I mean I just love the Reformation. I think it's I think it's super, super cool, super interesting. Um, you know, I don't I don't put any of those guys at the level of Paul or Jesus or anybody for sure. But sure. um but but certainly um I would I would say I'm very reformed at this point. And the, and the, a lot of that has changed over the last year or two. You know, I've been Calvinist for ten years. And I would, have, I would have said 10 years ago I was reformed, but I, I wasn't reformed. And what I mean by that is like, when you really start to dive in, I mean, we're, we're 1689, just second London Baptist Confession. Uh, by the way, you talk about like, you know, if I meet somebody who's like, oh, I'm Westminster, I'm, I'm going to give him a hug. <laughs> they're a brother. they are not, you know, it's like, oh, you're a different yeah. confession than, than us. You know, you're Presby or whatever. And so, um, you know, we're, we're confessional. We're a covenantal church we understand and focus on dominion mandate on, on covenantal theology, on patriarchy, on post mill eschatology on, and all of those things to me, as you start to put those things together, really lead to what I would call truly reformed at this point, which, which I know apology is as well. Like you're, you know, I know your church well and follow your pastor as well. And, um, but I, but I would also take, you know, our, our brothers in the, Presbyterian faith as well the you know the guys in Ogden and the guys in Moscow and and say those are those are those are brothers that I, I love hanging out with and and having good discussions with for sure.
0: Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of Will Reforms His Coffee sponsored by Reformation Coffee. This is going to be a five-part series taking place in the middle of my podcast where you get to listen to me talking about learning a thing making a proper cup of coffee. A bit of background for those who've missed it. I'm a drip coffee guy. Moreover, diner drip coffee. If a waitress is serving coffee in a scorched pot while walking across a linoleum floor and offering me a slice of pie for dessert after breakfast, that's my kind of coffee. But a funny thing happened recently. You see, I got a coffee sponsor, Reformation Coffee, whose website you can visit and enter the code SUBFREE to get one free bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. And if i'm going to be sponsored by a coffee company i should probably learn how to drink a proper cup of coffee especially because i love their guatemala roast it's the first coffee that i've tried where i can taste the flavors in high resolution that i think is the appeal of wine cigars and whiskey learning how to discern with the palate the various flavors and textures that make up the experience it's kind of like learning to see but with your tongue so after getting my tongue's eyes opened, and I promise I won't take that metaphor any further, I decided that I wanted to learn more about coffee and see what I can see. So I contacted Brandon to learn how I could do that. And I found out it's gonna take some equipment. He recommended a Hario pour-over mug and filters, a gooseneck kettle, a scale with a timer, and a burr grinder for the beans. You can see the items that I'm purchasing in an Amazon list linked in the show notes. It's a fair expense, But for me, because I'm making content with it, it's a business expense. In other words, I'm getting paid to drink coffee, and this is why we start podcasts. Take that, IRS. But for the listeners out there, I encourage you to find the alternatives that work for you. So I have no idea how to use these items yet, or why you'd need a scale with a timer, but that'll be the next episode. Once again, join me on my coffee journey by going to ReformationCoffee.com and entering the code SUBFREE. get one free bag of coffee with your monthly coffee subscription and click the link in the show notes to see the equipment i'll be using to reform my coffee experience also a quick note of prayer request for brandon lansdowne who was in a construction accident last week when a six foot beam fell on his head he was taken to acute care and diagnosed with a concussion he's doing fine and preached a sermon last sunday probably because no one was strong enough to hold him down but please say a prayer for his continued recovery and strengthening and also that there be no long-term effects of the injury, because I can imagine that after an event like that, Brandon has a lot on his mind. And join me next week as I take the next step in my coffee adventure. There's so much in there that so many roads from what you said that I wanna that I wanna drive down. Um, but I think the one that I think the one that'll be most relevant to the listeners is 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 that you brought up. So you have guys like um, Calvin, you know, who you said he was like autistic, right? In a joking kind right. of way, but right. he was. This was a man who was so laser focused on spiritual truth, right? That's that's what he did, right? Yep. And I was just having a conversation with some friend, uh, some friends yesterday. Um, a guy, guys on YouTube called the Iron Disciples, and uh, and we're gonna be we're gonna be talking more soon. They and I, we're we're saying. There used to be a time, I think, where men could respect a man like Calvin. Calvin probably didn't have a big bench press. Right. Right? right. right. And it seems like the discussion about masculinity has gotten so low resolution that men who talk about spiritual truths, philosophical truths, and really do hit on something important aren't listened to respected or acknowledged because the question is always what color is your bugatti how much can you deadlift what's your notch count right yep. and and that seems to me now now look there, there when we're going to get this is what i want to get to there's a place for physical fitness and competency and i do sure. want to end up there cuz i think that is important however i think that there's a point where it's like at what point are men going to figure out that spiritual gifts are their own gifts of spiritual insight and philosophical insight and mental power are their own form of gifts that don't necessarily fit a thousand percent with spending six hours, with spending six or eight hours a week in the gym. Not that there's in contradiction, but there are some men that are called down that path. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. So this is the discussion that I want to get into about masculinity that we seem to have, we seem, there there seems to be a way that it's become so low resolution and unable to perceive some men's gifts that we would have in the past. That's really good.
2: Yeah, I, I think there are times we miss the force through the trees, right? Like we we all know lifters, bodybuilders specifically and it's your listeners probably won't be surprised by this. I hate bodybuilding. I hate everything about it. Um oh, yeah. it is it is shallow aesthetics based um you know, let me let me take pictures of myself, you know, and post them on Instagram and just just train to look good with no like everybody wants to look better. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, but aesthetics should be a byproduct of performance improvement. And bodybuilders don't care about performance improvement. They only care about looking better, and that's a problem. And so, so I can't stand bodybuilding. Um, and and so we we see people like this who have no grounding in truth, in the gospel, in scripture, in what they're called to be as men or as husbands or as fathers. Or, but they're, but they're really good in the in the gym. We see this all hmm. the time. And so being good at the gym doesn't, I, I, I would argue it can make you a better husband, a better father, even a better Christian, a better leader. I think it can definitely do yes. that. But, but by, by and of itself, it doesn't. And so if not done for the right reasons, it won't. Um, and so that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation, I'm going to say a thing that I've actually been chewing on for the last two minutes so if I should say it or not, but I'm going to say it. Um, say it. And it's, and Send it. Okay, so... Um, the other side of the equation is you take a guy like John Piper, who I love, mm-hmm. um, but wouldn't call him masculine right there's no, there's not really anything about John Piper that I would say is tremendously masculine. I think he's been faithful, faithful to the word of God for his entire life um i have my life has been wildly changed by John Piper and John Piper's ministry, his sermons, um, desiring God, his book, all these things um, but you and I'm, and I'm just going to make a I'm just going to make a statement that I've just, something I've noticed that I don't even know that's true. Um, but, but he's got at least one kid who's fallen away. Yeah, um, hard. I never hear about how he was as a father or as a husband. Maybe he's fine as a husband. Maybe he's fine as both. Um, he's a pacifist. And so I do see that there is a problem when you go all in on the other side as well, the guy has been a faithful, um, pastor for, you know, 50 years. Uh, but there's something broken there. And I, I think there's something broken at the family level, uh, with his with his kids or, his, and again, I want to be really careful. I don't want to just judge. I just, I I've looked at it. Cause again, I, I want to be clear. I really respect this man. Um, but he never talked about these things. He never talked about patriarchy. He never talked about headship. He, like there was something that was just sort of missing out of his ministry. And then you see, like this is maybe a hole in his in his life. Again, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you I think you can see the dichotomy between you've got the guy who is the you know the Andrew Tates of the world, the all in on masculinity, treat women like crap, lift weights, eat meat, do the thing that is completely hmm. godless. And then you've got a guy like John Piper, who is, who is a wonderful, faithful Christian, who I absolutely believe will be singing Holy, Holy, Holy together in heaven one day. But there's still something that I'm like, you missed something here on the whole like masculinity trail. Um, father, husband, leader, um, so on and so forth. And so our goal, is to, our goal is to find the right balance between those two things. Um, and to be masculine or we're called to be masculine, to be the not just not just um, men who study scripture. And by the way, that's so much more important than bench pressing. Like, yeah, that's... So I want to be clear. As I come on and do, talk about lifting weights and being strong and things like that, it's like, it's not the most important thing in the world. It's one of the things Mark Ribbito says, strength is the most important thing in the world, whether you want it to be or not. No, it's not. It's not even close to the most important thing in the world. Like, my relationship with God is a million times more my relationship with my family, so the way I lead my family, the way I lead my church. Like, yes, strength physically is probably the most important thing in the physical world is to be physically strong, to be, to be harder to kill, to be, you know, all of those things. But, but I, I, I need to make sure that, I, that I'm, I'm following what scripture calls me to be first. Uh, and I think one of those things it calls me to be is to be masculine is to be strong, is to lead my family well and to lead my church well and to lead my my kids well. And so some people miss that entirely. And then some people go all in on that and they miss all the other stuff. And for us, it's striking the right balance there, I think is really key.
0: It's fantastic. You took it, you took it right where I wanted to, which was, you know, on one, you have one side of the dialogue about masculinity, which completely disregards intellectual, spiritual, sometimes even emotional gifts, for example, artists, yep. poetry, stuff like that. And, but there's also a trap on that side where guys say, well, I have all these physical, spiritual gifts. I don't need to develop myself spiritually. It's like, well, that's right. not true either. Because I was going to say the devil av- devil's advocate, how do we get guys out of that ditch onto, right. into the middle of the road, right? Because again, you have, you have the, the, the vanity, the masculinity for its own sake kind of aspect. And then you have the, the avoidance of any masculine presence in the world to focus purely on uh, spiritual gifts, which I think can get Gnostic. Right? So you sure. have materialism on one side, you have Gnosticism on the other. Yeah. How do we get men out of both of those dishes yeah. and get them going down the
2: middle of the road? Well, that's the, that's the problem with everything we face, right? There's the, there's the ditch on each side and the yeah. goal is to stay on the road. And so this is the problem with the fat pastor, the quote unquote fat mm-hmm. pastor. And, and I want to be clear, like, listen, I've struggled with this stuff. I mean, one of the reasons I think that I'm, I'm a, a good coach is because I've struggled with most of these things in my life. And so I just recently lost 50 pounds. I was like, this is, you know, business had been, um, good, but stressful. And, uh, and I realized like, I'm just, you know, I'm eating too much. I'm drinking too much alcohol. And it's like, it's not, it's not healthy for me. And so, and I'm not going to be that guy. And so, um, the, the problem I see with, with the quote unquote fat pastor is that it shows that there's a lack of discipline somewhere in his life. And I think that's a problem. I think one of the things that we have to look for, and by the way, I think we all have these things. Like Maybe it doesn't show up as, as a physical thing, but I think we're called as men to, to try to find that weak link in our chain. Where's the place that you're undisciplined? You know, Do you drink too much alcohol? Do you let yourself watch porn? Do you play like you're lazy? Do you sleep in too much? you stay up late at night? Like, what is the thing? And, or multiple things for a lot of us probably. And... My concern when I see a pastor who's really out of shape is my next, my thought is like, well, where else is he undisciplined? Mm. Is he undisciplined in his finances? Should I worry about the church finances because this guy's so undisciplined and he's like, he's 400 pounds? Like, and I don't know, maybe some of that's on me, but I think, I think the reality is, is like that's, that's a truth that needs to be confronted. And so, but more than any that- man for any man, not just the fat pastor, yeah. right? But that's um, a, a problem. And I think, I think it's, it's especially tough for somebody who bears that load physically because their lack of discipline is so evident just by looking at them. You just look at somebody and be like, well, you're fat and that's your problem, right? Like we don't know who's got $25,000 in credit card debt. That's much harder to see. Same problem, by the way. Same physical lack of discipline. That's a problem. And so for us, we're called to be honest with ourselves about these things and recognize where those are and to, to cut, that, cut that stuff out of our life to make war on that stuff. And so, so for, for me, the, the strength training piece is something that we can do that what I've recognized is this. When, when I am strong and I perform well, I look better, I feel better. I'm All the health metrics say that I'm healthier, right? the chances of me walking not just my daughters down the aisle at their wedding, but my granddaughters down the aisle of the ones who are not even born yet, right? Like that tremendously increases, right? If God has put me on this earth to be able to bless other people, to speak truth to other people, then by being strong and being healthy, I am very proactively elongating that. And look, everybody's got their time when God's going to take them off the earth. Right. But we also know it's just like Proverbs, right? So, you look at the book, book of Proverbs and it says, if you do this, then the chances of these outcomes are much higher, right? But you're not guaranteed that, right? You can do all this stuff in Proverbs. You can still be poor. You can still die young. You can still like any of those things. But the chances of those things, we can look at people's lives that do these things. The chances that we're going to live a longer life, a healthier life, a higher quality of life, which is really what it's about, is exponentially increased when we're strong. And so we want to focus on strength training. And I want to do those things in a way that's not where I have to sell myself to the gym, where I have to be in the gym 20 hours a week. For most of our clients that Barbell Logic, we, they train like three hours a week, like three times a week, maybe four times a week for an hour. So it's three, four hours a week. That's it. And so it's a very small percentage of your time. And, and we focus on minimum effective dose for maximum return on investment. So we do the thing so... We don't need to do 20 exercises in the gym. We do three exercises. We do four exercises, not very much, to get the biggest bang for your buck. And so when I'm able to do that, what we have found is that we don't just improve physically. And obviously, we do improve physically. But we see benefit in this mentally, emotionally, socially. Again, I don't think directly spiritually. But I think, like again, I've I've been in places in my life where I'm unhealthy physically. And it absolutely affects my spiritual life. And so mm-hmm. I want to be really careful because I don't think it's more important than all of these things. I don't think it's more important than being a, a great husband or a great father or, or studying the word or the spiritual disciplines. But I do think it makes all those things better. And, I, and I've experienced that in my own life and I've experienced that in the life of our clients. And so that's the road we're trying to walk on and not get in either ditch. We don't want to land in the ditch where we don't care anything about physical health or performance, and all we do is focus on spiritual disciplines. And likewise, we don't want to fall into the other ditch of being the Andrew Tates of the world, where we're just all we care about is aesthetics and women and the manosphere problem, right? And I know you—you kind of mm. came out of that background. Like that's—I see a—we see this all the time. Like the manosphere. I think we're going to see a huge reformation of the manosphere over the next couple of years because oh, these sure guys so. are—they're broken, and they. Yeah. And they've accomplished everything that the manosphere tells them they're supposed to accomplish and there's still, there's no joy. And so they're like, What's, what am I missing? Well, like, I know you're missing Jesus. That's what you're missing, mm-hmm. right? And so this aesthetics and performance and physical without the foundation of the word, without the foundation of God in your life is, is empty. It's shallow and it's broken. Um, but I, I do think you could also go too far the other way. And you can focus entirely on spiritual matters and not, not anything in the, in the masculinity physical realm. And I think that's also a, a ditch on the other side.
0: So, yes, and I, I agree with, I agree with everything you said. And and so I, I think um, what's the question that, that I'm sitting with now is so the, the, the fat pastor or the, or the fat man or, or whatever, um, that's an easy, that that's a, when I say easy target to pick on i don't I don't mean that they're a target I don't mean that we're actually picking on them, so maybe i'll sure. maybe I'll phrase my word that's a, that's an easy uh that's an easy problem to identify because in some sense it's it's endemic to all of almost American society now for sure and yeah. obesity is a growing problem around the world it's it's actually it's it's a significant and growing problem particularly in Asia and places like that too so there's there's that aspect, but then there's also what about the really the really skinny kid? You know, like, know like he's coming. he. What? Well, yeah, I mean, but I think these are important questions. Oh, it's um, super important. Because yeah, because you have because you have this this manosphere image of um, become powerful, physically, monetarily, sexually. Right. That's what the sure. manosphere is selling. It's essentially Nietzscheanism. Yep. Right. It's a, in a, in a, in, a, in not so many words. And, and so it, you can look at the the, the overweight pastor, and you could say that guy needs to reform something in his life. And then, but then you have this, these skinny kids. That what's the what's the pitch to them? Because I think it's not that they don't want power. I think that they I think that they do, and I don't mean power for its own sake. They, like sure. Power, presence, gravitas, as Pastor Michael Foster says. I, I think that there's something else going on there and you've probably seen this in, in with Barbell logic the the guy who's never developed himself physically at all maybe he's not undisciplined in terms of eating right sure. or, or or self-medicating with food but there's something missing in that young man for
2: sure. as well Let, let's speak into that for a second yeah it's a, it's a it's a lack of voluntary hardship is what it is okay they've never done hard things and and so we i preach this to my kids all the time like what is is the value of hard work what it gets you? Or is the value in the hard work itself? Because I would argue that it's actually the latter. That when we work, like, yes, I like to work and I like to make money from my work and I like to you know, go out and work in my yard or my garden or mow the lawn and I can look at the end and be like, oh, look what I did. But like the value in it is actually in the work itself. And the problem we get today, because most of us work at a, uh, in a cubicle, in an office, at a desk, like you know, people don't do manual labor anymore, and so I I would actually not not argue too much with people who say like oh you know guys you know a hundred years ago they really didn't need to work out that much because they did it in their job I'm like okay that's maybe that's true, but that's not the case today. Like I know mm-hmm. I'm a CEO of a company. I sit at a desk. I'm sitting at it right now. If I don't get yeah. up and squat and deadlift, I don't do anything hard. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not you know like I don't. I'm not. I don't do stuff like that, and so, and so for the skinny kid, the 155 pound skinny kid. Who, by the way, like one of the biggest things you got to fight with a kid like that is like he already has abs, but like nobody cares because he's 155 pounds. Nobody cares if you have abs, right? Like not when you're 155 pounds and you don't want to lose it. You're like you just you you're confused. You need to get strong. I say this all the time. So, like my wife is really strong, and I don't know. I heard you say that she is. She is the most feminine, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. I mean, she doesn't have an ounce of masculinity in her whatsoever. I mean, she, she doesn't know that she's strong. I mean, she's probably heard me say it now enough on podcasts. But let me tell you how strong my wife is. My wife's 45 years old, birthed two kids. She is as feminine, as gorgeous, smoking hot. She deadlifts 402. <laughs> she squatted at a meet. 402, the reason that's a weird number is in kilos. She squatted 347. What? She benches 235. Now, listen, oh. you guys go on, go on my Instagram and see, you would never know. She's a normal soccer mom. Just looks like a soccer mom, right? She's not, she's not muscular. She's not like... You wouldn't look at her and be like, she's super fit. She's just like a normal looking soccer mom. She just doesn't know. So here's the problem. I talk to guys all the time, like, 95% of the guys listening to this podcast right now can't lift as much as my 45-year-old soccer mom wife does. That's a problem. That's a problem. Any guy on earth, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your genetics are, any guy on earth can squat 350 pounds and deadlift 500 pounds like, with enough training. No steroids. No, like, I mean, unless you're starting at 60, you can do that, right? And you should. And by the way, anybody should... Anybody should be able to squat 300 pounds and deadlift 400 pounds for anything that life's going to throw at you. Over that, if you get to the point where you can squat 300 and deadlift 400 pounds and you're like, I don't know that I really want to get stronger because I'm theoretically risking injury. Like, okay, that's actually totally fine. But if you, if you can't squat 225 and deadlift 300 pounds, you're not even strong enough for the stuff that life will throw at you. Like, and that matters. Like, You need to be able to be strong enough to just do normal stuff in life. And so, but then the other piece of it is this. So that's what it gets you. That's that's what it gets you. Strength training. But what about the value of the voluntary hardship itself? Like nobody's ever going to make you put a bar on your back and squat. Squatting sucks. It's not any fun. (laughs) Nobody likes it. I don't care who you are. Right? You're you're. I mean, you're a psychopath if you like to squat. I hate squat. I squatted yesterday at my cabin by myself. I was down at the cabin working and I. (laughs) I'm an idiot. I ended up putting up a squat rack down at my cabin on the porch and uh, and I squatted and deadlifted yesterday all by myself, which is always hard to do because there's nobody around. There's nobody, you know, you're just like, I'm just gonna do this. And so it sucks. It sucks. But it's hard. But how many times do we get the opportunity to choose hard anymore? Like it's pretty rare. And so, you know, we will often be thrown into involuntary hardship. Like that happens sometimes, right? You get Like, you know, lose your job, lose your wife, lose a kid. You know, there's some sort of, some sort of terrible event. Um, you know, the economy goes bad, whatever the thing is, right. You get cancer and you're throwing into involuntary hardship. And they're in like, even see guys that are thrown in prison. That's involuntary hardship. How often does prison refine someone for the better? Not that often. sometimes. Yeah, it happens, yeah. But yeah, it's not, it's not, the, thing, right? it's not so the most common outcome. Any, any involuntary hardship has the chance to refine you and make you better. But it's not guaranteed to refine you and make you better, right? Somebody experiences a tragedy. Sometimes they get a lot worse. Sometimes they become, sometimes they become addicted to drugs. Sometimes they get super depressed. Sometimes, like, whatever. But I would argue that voluntary hardship almost always refines you and makes you better. Almost always refines you and makes you better because you chose... Hard because you chose to put a bar on your back. Now, is squatting and deadlifting the only option that we have for voluntary hardship? Of course not. There's lots of places. The reason we choose strength training is because it generally works for everybody, right? So, not everybody can go out and run a marathon or not everybody can, like, whatever voluntary hardship thing is that you choose, that's not always available, but anybody can squat and deadlift, anybody can do the main lifts. And that voluntary hardship of choosing that thing, like, you'll be surprised that when your boss fires you or your girlfriend breaks up with you or cancer hits, like you're a little better able to handle it now because you chose to do things voluntarily that were hard. And so that's the preparation that gets you. So that's, that's the thing that the value is in the work itself, not just, oh, and by the way, you get bigger muscles and get to perform better and you look better and all those things. That's what it gets you on the end result. But I, I would actually argue that what the voluntary hardship itself does is that's where the value is. It's in the work. It's not even what it produces in the end. So it's, it refines you physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, and that's what we get out of it. So that's, that's why we do those things. So as you're, as you're
0: talking through this, I sort of, I find myself wondering, cause I can, you can look at the, the fat guy and the skinny guy. You can see both of these guys are avoiding some form of voluntary hardship, whether it's the hardship okay. of saying no to whatever it is you want to eat, or whether it's the hardship of getting into the gym. And actually, like putting up, putting up something heavy when you don't want to, and so a, a a lack of desire to engage in voluntary hardship, I identify as coming from a lack of fathers. Like, like mm-hmm. it's a father's job. I'm not a father yet. Um, you know, God willing, I'll, I'll get to be. Um, but it seems to me that that part of a father's job, maybe one of the most important parts, is to teach his sons, particularly and his daughters as well. Um, and you could probably speak to this about the value of voluntary hardship when, sure. when, they're, when the kids don't want to experience this. And so maybe this, in some ways, I think this all roots back to father hunger. And, and I guess the, the question that I'm sitting with, and maybe you can speak about this from your experience as a father, is whether the overweight guy had a father that was too soft on him, and the skinny guy had a father who was too hard on him. If the skinny guy is one, doesn't want to deal with voluntary hardship sure. because it's terrifying because it reminds him that his dad was, 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 was a monster. And sure. the overweight guy doesn't want to engage with voluntary hardship because the dad just wasn't there in the first place. Does that, yeah. does that map or am I oversimplifying?
2: No, it, it, it maps. I, actually, that's, I've never heard anybody say that, but it makes a lot of sense. I do think there's times when the the person who overeats sometimes is a rebound effect from, you know, it's possible that they also had a yeah. father that was really hard and they, and their sort of rebellion out of that is, is to overeat. Um, certainly. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting that you say that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, it, it, it's paired with delayed gratification, this stuff. Yeah. And, and when people, if I, if I, you know, I, I can get on here and give you my sales pitch about why squatting and deadlifting is awesome and stuff. And, I'd get everybody excited on the podcast about like, yeah, I want to get really strong. And, like, that's, and I, that's super fun. You I'd could, love to do that. Right? You could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that there are always days that you don't want to do those things. Now, yeah. I, I actually really like to train. I always have liked to train. I've, I'm, I'm, uh, I won my pro card and strongman. was on the world's strongest man circuit for years. And, and, I, but, and I actually like the training, the preparation for that stuff more than the actual competition. I, I love competition. Mm-hmm. I always did fine at the competition, but I, but I actually really enjoy training. There are a lot of people that look at training as sort of the spoonful of medicine. That's the way they, that's the way they kind of, they don't enjoy the training itself. But the reality is, is that nobody enjoys training every single day, right? There's tons of days that I don't want to train. Those are the days you have to train because anybody can train on the days that are, you feel great. You wake up and you're just like, man, I slept eight hours and feel good. And, I feel strong Mm -hmm. and I'm going for a bench PR today. So I'm super excited about it. It's the days that you're like, dude, I'm going to do five sets of five on squats. It's terrible. Those are the Mm -hmm. days you have to train. And so like, that's the lesson that has to be learned by that you have to teach your kids. Like we do, and I do this all the time. So I go next room over. My kids have a chore sheet. And I say it's chores, but but it's actually like much more than chores. They get paid to work. They're employees basically of, of us. And, uh, we don't pay them for cleaning their rooms and stuff like that's, that's expected. Sure. Right. But you know, my 18 year old, she goes and gets groceries for the family, puts gas in the cars, washes the cars, doesn't, you know, they've got a, they've got a long list, a checklist of things to do. And there are days that girls get up and they're super motivated to do their work and get paid. And but there's lots of days that they don't want to do it at all. Well, guess what you're going to do today? You're going to do the work anyway, because there's a lesson to be learned there. That's the voluntary hardship. It actually isn't voluntarily hard if you're like really excited to go in and bench press for a new max and hit a new PR. Like that's not hard. That's, that's fun. Point. It's putting the bar in your back and squatting when you don't want to do it. It's it's that's when fun. you it's when your kid was sick all night last night throwing up and you've got two hours sleep and you've still got to come in and work out today and you really don't want to. That's voluntary hardship. That's the lesson. It's the same lesson that you're teaching your kids about delaying gratification. It's the same problem. That people have when they overspend and they live, you know, well above their means, they can't delay gratification. People that can delay gratification and choose hard things anyway—that's where the lesson is. And so, for us as parents, we can teach our kids this stuff. My kids work out now; they're kids, so I'm not—you know—I'm not—I'm not the Bulgarian weightlifting coach. To my kids, we try to model it well. They watch what mom does. They know she loves it. We train... My wife and I train together. It's like sort of quiet time for us. They know when we're in the gym training, they don't, don't knock on the door and stuff. And they do those things because they, they want to kind of be like mom and they're, they're in that. I don't train them like I do my clients, but it's still a lesson that I've taught them how to do. And I've taught them how to work. I've taught them how to work around the house. I've taught them how to work when on days they don't want to work. Sorry. It's, I get up all the time and don't want to be a CEO of this company right now, but... <laughs> I'd rather just like watch Netflix, but I don't get to choose that. And so these are the lessons that we're, we're teaching our kids is that ability to delay gratification, ability to do voluntary hardship. Voluntary hardship, meaning things you actually don't want to do. Not just things that are hard, not just pushing yourself to like run the extra mile or breathe really heavy, but to actually do a thing you don't want to do. These are the lessons that we're trying to teach our kids. That's, that's what we're called to do as parents. And so, and so we do that with our daughters. What would it look like if I had a son? I think I'd be terrible. <laughs> I don't, I think I would push him way too hard. I mean, you know, like that's, Mm. I think God knew what he was doing when he gave me daughters that I, you know, I don't know, you know, I'd have a gay ice dancer for a kid. No, not really. This is a joke. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, it's just, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I can, I've been able to have the right amount of toughness for my daughters in teaching them these lessons. And I don't know how to do it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of listeners out there doing it with sons, and I think they probably do it really well. Um, I don't know how to do that because I don't have it, I don't have any boys. So, um, but what I know is that we're called to do it, regardless of whether we have sons or daughters, or you know, other men in our church that we disciple, uh, men in our community. I'm like these are things. That, as a matter of fact, this weekend I've actually got a. We're doing a squat and deadlift camp here at the house for all the guys in my church and all the guys in. A, we have a sister reformed church, and they're all coming to the house to do a squat and deadlift camp. Then we're gonna eat barbecued meats and drink beer, and smoke pipes, and and so it's just a it's a day of testosterone and masculinity. But for me, it's a way that I can give back. My Barbell Logic's an expensive company, you know. It costs it's a high trust uh, purchase. It's you know two hundred twenty five dollars plus a month to hire one of our coaches. And most of these guys in the reform community, they're you know they're single income homes as it should be. Their wives stay at home. They're you know they're working. A lot of them are younger. They're in their twenties. They're working blue collar jobs. They don't have a bunch of money. And so they're not going to be able to hire me in at Barbell Logic, but I can give back to them by teaching them some of the things I know. So it's just a totally free camp that I'm doing for these guys. And like, hey, come on out. I'm going to teach you how to squat. I'm going to teach you how to deadlift. I'm going to tell you how to put it in your program. I'm going to teach you how to do this stuff. And then we're going to sit around and eat barbecued meats together. And the other thing I want to do is talk to the other guys about what they do for a living so that we can better support each other in our occupations in the community. Because like, if there's if there's a guy in my church or... In a sister church, it's a plumber, and I need plumbing. That's the guy I'm going to hire. I'm not going to go look for the cheapest price. I'm going to hire that guy. And I'm not going to ask for the, by the way, if you listen to this, do not ask for the discount. Yep. Pay the guy what he's worth. Like yep. we're, we're, we are to outdo each other in honor. And so for me, I'm going to overpay the guy, and he's going to try to do more work than what he's, what he charges for. And so that's, that's how we do it. So that's, for me, that's a way I can give back to this community because, like, I know these guys probably can't hire me as a coach, so I can just coach them for free in places and do a deadlift camp and teach them how to do this stuff and eat good meat together and, and have a good community event.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that because um, I I um, I know Reformation Coffee, of course, is a sponsor of uh, sponsor the podcast. You know, shout out Brandon Lansdowne, Reformation right. Coffee, and in the ad that I did for the. When this episode comes out next week, when people are listening, this will be a week ago so the episode yeah. the episode that you guys listened to a week ago um that was what my ad about Reformation coffee is yeah. look, if we want to talk about sovereignty, if we want like we have to not just cheer our bros on who are building systems of of wealth creation independently, we have to support them, That's we right. have to give them our money, right That's the right. full price money too like. Stop buying beans from Starbucks or whatever giant woke corporation. Find there how many different guys you know are out there with businesses that you can help support. Yeah, you'll sure. pay a little bit more, right? But it, aren't we helping each other create systems of, of wealth creation and sovereignty so we can get separate from the beast system? Isn't That's that exactly the right. goal, yep. right? And, and I don't hear enough people really. This is something. This is a drum that I've been banging on for a while. Like all these guys are starting businesses. Pay your brothers, help them right. out, start don't their entrepreneurship. The exactly. Don't ask for the discount. Yeah. Don't just cheer them on. Like, yes, share them on social media. Yes. Talk to your friends about them. Do all that stuff as well. But pull some cash out of your wallet and support yep. their business and help. Even even if they don't, don't go anywhere with it. I have some friends who started a t-shirt company. It didn't ultimately work out for them. I still bought a t-shirt It ended up being the most expensive t-shirt that they sold. You know mm, what I mean? Right. Here you go. Yep. Start your, start your business, be successful, right? And, and I don't hear enough people talking about that as so essential to entrepreneurship because we don't naturally want to ask our friends for help. I get that, but it's incumbent on us to look around at our bros trying to do a thing and support them in doing it with, with all that we have and all that we can.
2: For sure. For sure. Uh, I, I, have you read, uh, Doug Wilson's book, the Gashmu saith It? That's the, so he had a, he had a uh, I've started it. Okay, so he's got the documentary, whatever it is, nine ways to save the world. Is it nine ways, eleven yep. ways? I don't know what it is. So um, eleven simple and steps is, to save the world. Okay, thank you. So, and he's got that's based on this book, and he's got a he's got a a lot of the book is about this sort of thing, but he's got a great chapter specifically on this very thing. Like this is what all of Christ for all of life actually means. Like yes. it's it's hiring our. If you have a brother that's a mechanic, that's where you take your car. If you got one that's a plumber or general, like we we have general contractors in our church. So any work that I get done around the house, I'm going to hire those guys, right? Even if Mm -hmm. they're not as skilled, even if they're a little more expensive, like what you're doing is you're, you're supporting the community, the brotherhood of what we do. And so how do they get better? How do they get more skilled? How do they make, like, this is the opportunity, right? This is one of the things I've been able to help Brandon at Reformation Coffee. And listen, Reformation coffee is amazing. Like it's it's the best it coffee I've ever had. Um, but it was it was good for me to be able to sit down and walk through some of the business steps with Brandon Cassie to help them with their to, with their coffee. There's a way that I could contribute there, right? And so certainly I'm a subscriber to their coffee. I've never asked for a for a discount. I pay full price for the coffee, and I'm I've invested in the company. I'm gonna pay full price for the coffee. That's that's the deal. And so mm-hmm. for us, it's the same thing. Like you know, we have a bunch of young families in our church. They're all subscribers to the coffee, right? Like, and I get it. It's craft coffee. It's not, it's more expensive than Folgers. But what are you going to drink Folgers for? Like there's better coffee out there and a, a pastor, someone that you can support in Christendom to help build into Christendom. That's the point. And so like, to me, it's a no brainer. And I, I realize that a lot of people listen to this and be like, yeah, you're the CEO of the company. You've got the money to do it. But like, I've done this my whole life. Like, It's just right. make a sacrifice somewhere else. I would go as so far as to say, Brandon won't say this, but I'll say it because I think it's true. If you're a church and you're serving Starbucks or Black Rifle Coffee or like some sort of woke, you're in sin. What are you? Mm-hmm. You're literally spending church money to give to a woke organization to serve terrible woke coffee to your parishioners. That's a problem. Right now, it doesn't have to be reformation, but you better find somebody to support whether it's Reformation or a local coffee roaster in your town that's like, build... We need to be looking at building into Christendom in everything we do, period. So that means I want to build an Christendom when I hire somebody to fix my car, the mechanic. When it, the, the guy that mows my lawn is a, is a homeschool classical conversation dad that owns a lawn care company. There was no question that I was going to hire him because he's the guy that's going to build into Christendom and mow my lawn. Like, I could have hired anybody to mow my lawn, but like, why would I hire that guy? I don't even know if he was good at what, but like, he's the guy because we're building into yeah. Christendom. That's the point. And so like, man, I, this is a, I've got a buddy that says this is a white person problem. It's a white evangelical Christian what? problem. So I know I've heard other people talk about white evangelicals lately and it's caused lots of problems. I don't know if you've heard this. <laughs> but uh, a, yeah but so, go for so, it maybe, maybe so, listeners no, haven't. Just, this is we just want the discount we want the brotherly discount like hey bro can't you hook me up with the discount like that's just this thing that like maybe listen maybe it's you're in Phoenix are you you're not from there originally right you got like a northern accent I'm originally from Phoenix but I've, I've, I've lived have, like, other no places ac- you don't have a Phoenix accent at all but you don't have really a Phoenix accent. accent well you know what I mean so maybe, it's a, maybe, maybe it's a Midwest maybe it's a Midwestern thing <laughs> Midwestern okay. people, and I joke about white evangelicals, but I think evangelicals were terrible. At, we ask for the discount, like, and it's oh. we asked for the discount because they're a bro- like it's the worst. Po- it's not like it's oh the brother-in-law deal, but instead it's like, hey man, since we go to church together, can you hook me up with a good deal on the plumbing? That's evil. Don't do that. Like support this guy if this is one of your brothers who runs a plumbing company. Pay him what he's worth, pay him market value for yeah. the thing. And then the plumber, your buddy, he should try to provide more work than what he charges for. Like, that's the point. We're trying to outdo each other with this stuff. That's how we build into Christendom. So, sorry, I get, I get all heated. I'm, gonna, I'm all for I'm going to like. <laughs> no, no, man, keep. Uh, it's what it is. I, I just, I see this all the time. Like, churches, I can't believe churches that I'll show up and they're serving Starbucks or they're serving like, whatever the thing, like really Starbucks. Like I get it. We can't like there, there is certainly a line. I can't go through every single thing I purchase and be like, I don't know. Are these napkins made by a woke company or are these paper plates? Made? Like I get it right. Like at some point, you, but, but you know, with the coffee, what you're doing or, you know, mm-hmm. with some of these other big purchases, or, you know, when you're choosing to support, you know a big woke company as opposed to if you've got somebody in your church to do this this is the listen the Amish and the Mennonites figured this out years ago I don't necessarily want to live like them although it doesn't sound terrible you know they <laughs> especially now that's right they they only hire like if you're Amish or you're a Mennonite they they only they only hire other Amish in their local community to do a yeah. thing and if they don't have somebody that does that then they will hire someone in the Amish community Outside of their community, like in one of the neighboring towns, to do the thing. And if that doesn't exist, then they still go local, and they support local business, even if it's not Amish. And they try not to give it to, you know, woke. They try to give it to somebody who's at least religious. And so they figured this out that this is how you do this and how you build any Christendom. And so I'm amazed at what we do in in evangelical Christianity that we just like, oh, whatever the best deal is is where I'm going to spend my money. Is there no other? There's no other thought to this to like who you're actually supporting. And I, I hate that it's turned this way. I saw this coming years ago. I told my wife years ago and I, I, actually I started to see it with Starbucks. And I saw like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby and I go, ooh, it's only a matter of time before every company in the United States is going to choose a side. Now look what's happened. Oh yeah. Everybody's choosing sides. Now you've got, you know, now you got trannies advertising beer. And they're like, okay, well, we know what side they're on. so. Not that beer. So anyway, so support Reformation Coffee or your local Christian coffee roaster at your church and stop by a woke coffee or bad coffee. Don't serve, don't serve your people Folgers. It's disgusting. Nobody likes yeah. Folgers. So. All no, right. Uh, I digress. No,
0: no, this is, this is perfect. Because <laughs> Reforma- like in Re- 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 Reformation may, you may, you've probably heard me say this. Is that, you know, as part of all these podcasts through Mef- Reformation May, which providentially are turning out to be some of my biggest guests ever, I'm going to be using Reformation coffee. In fact, the ad for this will probably play just before right now <laughs> when I edit the podcast is, is Brandon's teaching me how to do a pour over cup of coffee because yeah. I like drip coffee. Right. And so, and, and, and it's all part of this is like, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to support this coffee company, right? If I'm going, I should learn how to actually drink coffee. Right. I should learn how to taste the way that these people who roast it make it, right? I should make this part of my life and make it fun and not treat it like a chore, right. right? How can I actually learn something about this? And and I actually, um, I haven't encountered the asking for the for the discount thing of evangelicals, but I've certainly seen it in plenty of other places yep. where it's like, no, no, no. And, and I think that the, the post-mill eschatology actually speaks against that. So, sure. kind of conceptually, to say, are we trying to build something? That's right. Or are we just trying to get make things as grease the wheels as easily as possible to, until Jesus comes back and bails us out? That's like right. Like I'm on the That's I'm on the side point. of uh, yeah, I'm on the side of like, well, let's actually try to build something for the future for the kingdom, and that actually takes self sacrifice. one of the one of my favorite quotes that I heard years ago: "It is isn't effort until it begins to hurt." Yep. And it's like, are you re- you know, are you really Putting effort into building for the kingdom. If you're trying to do it in a way that hurts the least and That's spending right. money hurts, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can go buy woke coffee, you know, for five bucks or buy a bag of beans for 10 or, or whatever it is from, from a, from a man actually trying to build sovereignty, you know, for the kingdom. Yeah. That extra it, it's meaningful, but it's a worthy sacrifice. It's a vault. Vol- right. Maybe it's a voluntary hardship in a way. And I, and I think, I think this kind of dovetails with the whole lifting thing as well. Are you going to apply your own voluntary hardship to not just the gym, but to where you make your purchasing decisions for the things that are meaningful in your life?
2: For sure. That's great. Yeah, and that's hard to do because it's easy to go to the big department stores, right? It's a lot yeah. harder to go to the mom and pop local places. They don't have as good a selection. And the prices aren't as good and all the things. But again, what are we building? It's interesting to talk about the post-mill side of this. You know, I've only been post-mill for about a year. and I did not, I just was one of those guys that didn't care about eschatology for, I was like, I don't sure. know, Jesus, Jesus wins in the end, I guess it's fine. <laughs> and I knew I wasn't really like, um, left behind rapture sort of, and I was like, eh, yeah. that's not it, but I don't know really what I am. And so as I've become post the last year, you recognize it changes a lot about the way you yeah. live your life on a daily basis. And you know what's awesome is I don't have to sit around and worry about the world I'm leaving my grandkids to. Like it's not because you're like we're building into this thing that's greater than ourselves, that's longer. Like so, this isn't like or your church, like our church, right? So our church is ten months old, Brandon. We planted the church ten months ago. We actually meet in our house. That's not the goal. Is not to meet in our house long term. We'd like to find a building for sure, but. You don't have to have, it's not like we have a three year plan for the church. Like, church, no, this is a, this is hundreds of years. Like, this church, our great grandkids are going to go to this church. And so mm-hmm. you can, it's, it's, it can move on God's timing. Now we're, you know, we're going to work really hard to grow the church and, and we want to support Brandon as a full time pastor and all those things. But it's like, it really does change everything. So when you think about even like your coffee purchases, or the working out in the gym or whatever the thing of choosing voluntary hardship, it's because you're actually building into something. Not oh, yes. not, oh man, what what kind of world am I gonna leave for my grandkids that's just gonna be hell in a handbasket? And you know, we're not guaranteed I don't know that America is gonna be better two generations from now than it is now. Might not be. But what I know is that Jesus sits on the throne and all authority's been given to him. And we're to go out and make disciples and build into this thing. So that's what we're doing. And so I, I trust that what he says is true, which is so I can actually think about those things when I purchase my coffee or whatever the thing is. Reformationcoffee.com. I, there you go.
0: Reformation coffee, <laughs> sub free for the one right. free bag of coffee right. with your first, yeah, your,
2: your first month is free with a subscription. Yeah.
0: yeah. Go for it. Do it. So, um, this is, I was really, uh, I guess, lucky in a sense, providential in that I got exposed to uh, Calvinism and post just at about the same time. Nice. I was taking my membership class for Apologia, Apologia as Calvinist, and I didn't really know what that was. So I had to think through you know, the five solas and, and Tulip and all that at the same time as I was learning about post-millennialism. Nice. Which, and, so, and so I've had to work out Backwards in time, how evangelical Christianity arrived at this point. Like, hey right, guys, this is right. pretty cool. This lines up. It's like, well, there's been so much going on for yeah, for right. fifty years to get to this point. That's right. So, um, but it seems like now it's all culminating in this discussion of of Christian nationalism. Yeah. Like, if we're really going to build into something, yes, our bodies, yes, our purchasing decisions, yes, sovereignty, yes, yes, wealth creation, yes, you know pushing back on on mandates and wokeness and all that stuff. But it's like, okay, if we're really going to build, are we going to build into government? And are right. we going to make sure that we're building into something as opposed to building these separatist kind of societies, right? Yep. So there's been a lot of controversy over the past week around what Christian nationalism is, whether it should be advocated for or should be advocated against. And this is kind of the mil- the moment that we're sitting in. Are you open to a discussion about sure. Christian nationalism? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so what, is, what does it mean to you uh, personally? And and, what, uh, and I guess it's probably the same question as what would you like it to mean? Or what do you see the dialogue as? Like there's a gap yeah. there somewhere between, because I think Christian, Christian nationalism, how I conceive of it, is not really an arguable thing. But a lot of guys are arguing about it. So maybe, yeah. maybe we can talk about
2: what we see it as. I think the word throws people off. I mean, like mm-hmm. before we even get into what it means for me, I think the word nationalism freaks people out. It freaks me out because Christian does you know, too. <laughs> well, yes, for sure, but it shouldn't freak Christians out. Oh yeah, both those words yeah. freak out freak out the secular world for sure. Uh, the Christian part shouldn't freak Christians out, but the nationalism—you know—they think of like oh, the National Socialist Party. It's like it's that you know there's these words <sighs> that have been associated with the uh, with history that the word nationalism has you know meant you know white supremacy or like that's that's what it conjures up for people, and so. I get that. Uh, But if we just take a step back and just go like, well, okay, hold on. So, well, what is that? Well, instead of trying to define what you think the media is talking about when they say that, or, oh, they're talking about this, you know, this crazy group of Timothy McVeigh and Oklahoma City bombing people, like whatever that is, right? Right. Instead, if I just go, okay, hold on. Do we want Christian families? Yes. Do we want Christian churches? Yes. Do you want Christian schools? Yes. Do you want Christian communities? Yes. Then the next question is, well, don't we just want a Christian country? Do we want Christian cities, Christian counties, Christian states? Christian? Yes. So I think if you can explain it to people that way, they're like, who would argue against that? Because what, again, I've heard vody say, like, what's the alternative? You want a right. secular country? You're going you're to fight? Right. You're going to f- fight for paganism? <laughs> it's the, so, yes, of course. I, I want I want a Christian government. Do I think that's going to happen in my lifetime? No, probably not. But again, I'm playing the long game. Doesn't matter. I don't think Jesus is coming back in the next 18 months. I think we got a while. <laughs> so, you <laughs> yeah, know, what I mean, probably, it's like... Right. So, I mean, he could, but I don't, you know. And so to me... That's the direction I, I see a guy. I think eventually, I think because Jesus sits on his throne, because Jesus is actually reigning right now today, then over time, he's going to... And we, listen, I also think it's really hard for us to see this in America because I, I think we've probably peaked in America. And I think we're on our way downhill. now. I hope that's... I mean, I'm, I love America. I hope we turn it around. But right now we have our head up our hind end. But the reality is, is if you look at like, how many people were Christians 50 years ago? How many people has Jesus saved in the last 50 years? Like, how many people are getting saved in Asia and Africa and other, you know, in other nations? Like, lots. And so, and again, because the New Testament says that, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, like, like, that doesn't exist in the New Testament. And so, as more and more people become Christians, like, God is reconciling the world back to Himself. I don't know. Is America mm-hmm. going to keep getting better? Or is at some point, like, Somebody overtakes us as the world power, like that's very possible. So I think it's easy for us in America to be like, ah, it's getting worse. It's hard to actually argue for post millennialism in America right now because they're like, yeah, it's clearly worse today than it was five years ago. That might actually be true. But like, we're not talking about America. We're talking about the world. And so if the world, if Jesus is reconciling to himself, then like we know that over time, like that's, we believe the world is going to become primarily Christian at some point. Like that's what that outlook is. Now, the question is, do I want my country to be Christian? How could I not want that? Who would argue against that? And they argue it not because it's not what they want. They argue against it because the words scare them, I think. I think they see Christian nationalism. And they think this is a scary word. This is going to lead to some sort of weird version of like white supremacy, MAGA, Trump stuff. And like, I don't want that. And I, I get it. I don't want that either. But that's not what Christian nationalism is. If we want Christian families, Christian churches, Christian schools, you know, then we have to want Christian nations. Why would you want? Mm. I want a secular nation. Like that doesn't make any sense. So that's that's the way I approach this. And it's you know, I just think we have to get over the fear of the word. But I, I think there's a lot of history in the word. You know, I get it. Nationalism is is a scary word for people, and it's meant bad things over the course of history. But so I get it. I get where people are coming from and why why they rise up against that.
0: For those of you who joined us back in March and those who were unable to attend, the recordings from the first ever Renaissance of Men digital conference series are now live on Vimeo On Demand. I've put a ton of work into this site and it truly paid off. I wanted my viewers to have the most immersive and branded experience and really set the bar. And the extra effort was totally worth it. In this conference, we had Will Noland talking about resilience, Ryan King talking about heroism, Nate Spearing discussing courage, Mike Pantile talking about boldness, Lawson Speaks Truth discussing determination, and John David discussing self-mastery. And on the site, you can also access the morning panel, where some of these speakers got the first chance to interact with each other ever, and also the evening panel, which featured an extended Q&A. Plus catch a guest appearance by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne from Reformation Coffee to help kick off the day and my talk, The Architecture of Virtue, where I share my understanding of the virtues and how you can assemble them in your life as a man. Hit the link in the description to go to the site or visit renofmen.vhx.tv to catch those and all future episodes of the digital conference series. Use the link in the show notes or use the code RENOFMEN to take $10 off the recordings. I'm going to be heavily investing in this Vimeo on-demand platform in part because it streams to Apple TV and other platforms. So hopefully before too long, you'll see the Renaissance of Men in your living room. Once again, visit renofmen.vhx.tv and use the code RENOFMEN to take $10 off the first digital conference series. This is the start of something big, and thanks so much for supporting the Renaissance of Men. It's it's interesting. I I agree with you. I agree with everything that you said. Um, It's interesting about the word nationalism, scaring people, that it conjures up images of of Nazis, and I get that. But Nazis, the, the German nation was taken down by other nations. That had yes. national identities, right? That's so true. it's like nationalism is Nazis. Like, well, we defeated Nazism with other nations, yeah. right? It's such a low resolution. I love the I love the question that floats around on Twitter. Like, who did the Who did the world consider the universal bad guy before Adolf Hitler? You know what I mean? Before right. Before right. you could reduce everything to that, right? Like, okay, so uh, well, you, we can go in that.
2: By the way, do you think that America has a has trouble with this specifically because we are the melting pot of the world as well? Like there's this trouble. feeling, you know what I mean? What trouble with what specifically? Uh, with Christian nationalism, the idea of nationalism, like what is our identity, right? So again, I know what it is and I'm not, I'm not arguing this, but it's the, the argument I see is that like, well, what is our identity? We've come for, we're people from every nation, tribe and tongue that have come to America and done this thing. It's just like the world's great melting pot. We're a very young, we're a very young nation, right? 500 years old. And so you can go back, like you can go to England and be like, we got thousands of years of like we know what the identity of England is or Sweden or what it, you've got that in America it's a little bit tougher so we know we have an identity obviously our identity often is like individualism and freedom and liberty and the things that we stood on in 1776 and and since then but do you think that causes some issues for people that they're like ah oh, I don't like what is our identity we're all these different colors and races and people and backgrounds and sort of it's not like a nation they almost look at it as. A blending of all the nations that have come here, and I was thinking about this the other day, and again, I want to be clear i'm not arguing on that behalf, but do you think that is one of the things that throws people for a loop there? It's like, what is our identity as soon as you try to de- define our identity, they'll start to tie that towards racism or a, a certain demographic class or or whatever
0: so i have a i have a um, i have Uh, a unique perspective on on this this very question because I've been to more than 30 countries around the world. So I've been to China, I've been to India, I've been to South America. I spent six months traveling around India alone, right? So so a lot of the, I've been to Morocco and Africa. um, So I've seen the world outside of the United States. Most Americans haven't. Um, Most Americans who are liberals have not seen the world outside of Europe. So they travel, and they're like, why can't America be more like Europe? We're so backwards. It's like, It's The reality is, America is the most advanced country in the world. For sure. It is the only place in the world truthfully, really, worth, worth being. Now, that isn't to insult other countries. Like, other countries have their own unique value and values. But once sure. you actually see how most of the world lives, you become incredibly grateful for the United States. And what I say is that not every country in the world needs to be like America, but the world needs a country like America. Mm. That is is inarguable for me. And I can talk for a long time about that. I think, and I really believe this, I think a curse of shame has been placed on America so that Americans are incapable of seeing just how good they are. A Mm. curse of guilt and shame has been placed on America so that we're more ready To tear ourselves down out of this curse of guilt and shame, than we are to look around the world and say it's really bad out there. Mm. I don't. I don't think Americans have gotten really comfortable with that because in many places it is actually really bad. Like for example, China. A lot of people say we're going to compete with China. First of all, I've been to China. I, I spent six weeks traveling around China in 2018. China. Is absolutely blanketed with smog across the entirety of this country. Mm. You can take a bullet train from uh, Beijing, which is the sky is orange, right? To uh, Xi'an, right? Or Chongqing is another another country in, in mainland China. A bullet train, hundred traveling hundreds of miles per hour, gray cloud over the entire mm. landscape, abandoned buildings. Everywhere construction yeah. projects completely abandoned ghost cities right and this is this is on the, the main highways that people travel on. Yeah. I met a Chinese scientist. Um, his last his I don't forget his first name, but his last name was Ho H O. He was from mainland China. He escaped and he's he's on YouTube. He helped design the heads up display system for the F-15 Raptor. Right, so I met and I talked to this guy um, recently, and I hope to have him on a podcast sometime. And what he says, he says that China is afflicted with poverty the world doesn't understand. I said, I understand it because I've been, I've been on these trains and I've seen these cities. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. You're still a tourist and you still saw that part of China. There are tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people that live in such abject poverty in China that whole families of people will live in one house and they have one. He told me this in his, in his Chinese accent, whole families of people will have one set of clothes And so researchers will come to interview them, and one member of the family will put on the pair of clothes, come out and do the interview, and then go back into the house, take off the clothes, give it to another family member, and that family member will put on that pair of clothes. That's incomprehensible. And so I don't think we have a good understanding of what's actually going on in China. And I think the only way any other country or countries in the world can defeat America is because America is being destroyed from within, and I think we're sure being shame. destroyed morally from within with this curse of shame. And so, this is the power of Christ to liberate us from shame, uh, that we don't have to suffer that from that what anymore. But think, that requires, yeah. What go do you ahead. think
2: brought that brought that on you? You, you see this? Obviously, this is a, a major point of the of the woke community. You saw this with you know with Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility, and this is like you've got to yeah. feel guilty feel bad just for being white, just for being whatever demographic, just for being American, where do you think that culture of shame comes from?
0: Um, I think the culture of shame comes from original sin, that we all, as human beings, we all carry original sin from Adam and the garden, and that those of us who are, uh, who are saved in Christ have an actual medicine against original sin. That is our redemption. But those who are not saved in Christ, who don't who don't believe in God, who don't believe in Christ's work on the cross, they carry this feeling of guilt and shame within themselves that they can't identify. And the Marxist project was to poke right at that thing called original sin, not call it original sin, but identify it with racial sin, slavery, or, um, or also uh, there are so many different aspects, environmental sin, you breathe carbon, right? Feminism, you oppress women if you're a man. Endless, endless ways of poking at the sin. So people are like you're right. I, I have felt like crap my entire life, and I don't know why. But you're telling Greta just told me that it's because I exhale carbon dioxide and I eat meat, so that must be it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, and it brings people down to their knees. Yeah. But then that's why the woke movement within Christianity is so um, so hard to look at because these are people that should be free mm-hmm. from from shame and guilt, but they're clearly still crippled by it. Yeah,
2: that's good. Good. It's a good point. And, and uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, was, no, it was good. it's good. Mind mind is thinking, yeah, it really all stems from, it makes sense, it stems from this like cultural Marxism. And that, that all of these movements that we've seen are really a, just a, uh, it's that distilled down to something else. Like that's what feminism is. It's just, you know, what whatever the thing is of the day that makes people feel bad is just, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the, it's the, it's the root of Marxism there. That's good. Interesting. Yeah. And I it's think interesting Americans- the way it's played out here. Sorry, the way it's played out here. Go ahead. That it, I, I know it's played out in other countries as well, but it is interesting. And I, I mean, I'm verbally processing here as I'm, as I'm thinking through this, that it has specifically manifested itself in this, in this culture of shame in America. Where it hasn't, like, while, while those same movements have penetrated other countries, other Western worlds, first world countries, it doesn't seem to be um, creating the same uh, issues that it's creating in America, right? Like, there's some of that in Western mm-hmm. Europe and whatnot, but it is really interesting. This That you don't see, like, so many people, so many Americans hate America. Like, they just want to talk, mm-hmm. they talk about how terrible of a country we are. How embarrassed they yeah. are, they were, and yeah. it, it's that I don't hear that. Maybe it's there. Maybe I'm just not hearing. But it, like, I don't hear people say that from England or Germany or Spain or Sweden. Or I don't hear people be like, "I'm just so embarrassed that I'm Swedish. I'm so embarrassed about this country." Like, I don't hear that. But you know, it's weird it's the way it's manifested real itself here.
0: It's it's very yeah. The the demoral, well, it's like um, uh, Yuri Besmanov. Demoralization, right? And and you know if you want to if you want to conquer the world, you know with uh, you have to demoralize the men, and Mm -hmm. the first men that you have to demoralize are the ones you know who are trying to bring moralization to the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, I think World War II demoral in the post war period demoralized all the different nations of Europe, so that. During our entire lifetime, I think all of these different nations have lost their identity. Now, mm. I've talked about this often lately. How many millions of men—strong, noble, courageous—you know, values-based men, moral men—were just destroyed in two world wars, yep. just gone, just blown yep. to bits, came back shell-shocked, right? And that affected Europe way more than it affected America. Oh, for sure. So you had so you ha- you had this post-war period that America was riding high kings of the world through the 50s and, and, and 60s. But at the same time, you had the Frankfurt School. You had the cultural Marxists fleeing Germany, coming to the United States, this is documented, thinking, how can we destroy this country from within? Let's demoralize, let's demoralize the men. And you have Kinsey in the 1950s, yep. and then you have the 1960s when that took place. And yep. so to lend some context, the Renaissance of men as a concept is a 40-year process to rebirth masculinity out of this attempt to destroy it. Hmm. So this, so the Renaissance of Men, this conversation that you and I are having right now, it, we're riding the leading edge of a 40-year rebirth hmm. process to remoralize men. And I think it ultimately uh, culminates in Christ, as all things do. Oh, for sure. We've,
2: yeah. That's good. That's great. Mm-hmm. Love it. I don't get to think but this through is also- v- verbally processed very often in the middle of a podcast, but thanks for letting me do that. That's <laughs> so
0: you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I think I think, um, and I really do. I really do think this. This is why I think barbell training is so important, specifically barbell training. Sure. Because if you as a man lack belief in your essential goodness um, outside outside of redemption in Christ, if you wonder about your own capacity, if you go and you try to lift a heavy thing and then you can't lift it, and then but then you work up to the point where you can actually lift that heavy thing. You can move material reality yep. and you discover the benefits of that. You can remoralize yourself very For powerfully.
2: Sure. Well, and, and it's on the opposite side, right? Is it when you can't lift something, it's about the most demoralizing thing that can occur. Remember, it's interesting when I first yeah. got in strongman, and they, you know, they do the stones, the Atlas stones, and it, it's so simple because it's just a rock <laughs> and <sighs> it's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah to pick up an atlas stone and so i you know i can remember like by the time i was a pro that you know we're we're loading 400 pound atlas stones but when i when i first did it and i was i was pretty strong i mean i was an elite level power lifter when i first started doing strongman and i can remember a 230 pound stone about killed me and it you know it turned your forearms into like hamburger meat it was just bloody mm-hmm. and disgusting and you know, I, you know, I had gone up to Kansas City to, there was a professional strongman up there and it was cold and we, we did it in this barn. It was cold in the wintertime. And then I loaded all these stones and I got back in my truck and drove back to Springfield three hours away. And when I, got, when I got here, my back was so stiff, I could barely get out of the truck. I mean, it was so hard. And you're like, how could it be this hard? Just like picking a rock up off the ground and yeah. putting it up on a platform. But it's, but you're right. What's amazing is that you can, you can train uh, in a, in a smart, um, progressive way, progressive, I mean that in the right way, (laughs) that's in the positive way, uh, titrating Mm -hmm. the (laughs) weight up a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you can lift the stone or you can lift the weight or, and again, I, you know, I said the stuff I did about my wife, not to make anybody feel bad, but the reality is, is like, she didn't really know what strong was. I just, you know, we were working out together, and I was like, oh, let's put five more pounds on the bar." And she would do that for a deadlift, you know. And I, I mean, I remember the first time she deadlifted two twenty five, and I was like, "That's great," you know. And then she came back a couple of days later. I was like, "Let's put five more pounds on the bar." And she did two thirty, and she did that for like four years. And then one day she deadlifted four hundred pounds. <laughs> so you know, wow. it's just like that's the thing. It's just wow. not that. It's not. I, I guess what's crazy about barbell training is that it's not the uh, exception to the rule, right? It's the norm. If you just give it consistency and technique, and by the way, I mean like we're we are form Nazis on the way we do this, like that's that's what people (laughs) pay us for is to make sure that uh, we talked about Nazis twice. Form,
0: form reformers. We are we are form (laughs) reformers. Yes,
2: Uh, form reformers. I like it. Uh, Yeah, I mean you know we we form is really important, and but consistency is important. It comes back to that. You know anybody can train on the days that you feel great, and you don't want to. People that train on the days they don't feel good. Those are the ones that really make the progress. And so, uh, you know, we have those days we call them the blue collar days. I mean, you're just, you're going in and you're punching your time card. You're getting in, getting out. But like, that's the day that makes you better. And so um, anybody, anybody can get strong. Uh, I've got a lady I coached this morning. She's 87. Have I told you about this lady? Miss Sybil.
0: So Uh, I've been coaching
2: Sybil for like eight or nine years. Wait, is it 87? Yeah, 87. Dude, she deadlifts 150 for sets of five. 87. That's, now listen that's, to this. That's she has a... 87-year-old woman. Yeah, 87-year-old woman. So church organist for 40 years. And her, so her, her uh, son, who's like in his 60s, in great shape, back when I owned the gym, uh, my first big business, so I, I owned a, a big strength gym and sold it at the end of 2015, started doing it online. Um, he would, he, when he would visit her for the holidays, he would come in and see me for a session or whatever. You know, he was like in his mid-50s at the time. Great shape, strong. Uh, lived out in Colorado, and he's like, boy, I sure do wish I could get you to coach my mom. I said, I'll coach your mom. And he's like, "Ah, my mom's never been to a gym. I don't know if she'll come to a gym. And I was like, okay. You know, we talked about it a few times. And and then one time he said, hey, do you think you, could you come out to my house, to my mom's house and meet my mom? And I was like, sure, I'll come out. So it was awesome. She made a homemade biscotti and she made us coffee with like dip biscotti. And and so, and I taught her, and she was like 79 (laughs) or 80. Yeah, at the time, yeah. And uh, I taught her how to stand up out of her dining room chair that day. I was like, all right, Miss Sybil, I'm going to teach you how to stand up out of your dining room chair. That's a squat. I taught her how to squat by standing up out of her dining room chair. Because she was she couldn't hardly sit on the toilet and get up. She she was having wow. a hard time getting in and out of her car. Her, her brain was like super sharp. She could tell amazing stories, great storyteller, very social. But her body was falling apart. And all her kids, her, she was a widow. Her, her husband had died like 10 years before. And uh, none of her kids lived here. And so um, anyway, so she said, would you come out here and train me at my house? And I was like, yeah, I'll train you. You know, I'll come out. So I started coming out and I trained her three, four times at the house. And then she said, I think I'd like to see your gym. And then she came to the gym and she started training at the gym. And I trained her for eight years and she squats. She has, listen, double hip replacement, knee replacement, most of her back is fused together. She's had two inches cut off of one of her Achilles tendons. She's been, a, and that was all before I met her. Right. Obviously it'd be bad if all that stuff yeah. happened after I met her. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, and she squats and she deadlifts and she bench presses and she presses and she does lat pull downs. and She pushes the prowler and she's 87 years old. And you know, and it's not, you know, she can't squat with a bar on her back anymore. She holds a 40 pound medicine ball and squats but like she's 87 Still. and she you know and she's yeah and she's, she's deadlifted 150 pounds and so anybody can do this that's the point the point is like she as she says every day she's like i don't know what i'd do without you i'd be a decrepit old woman if it weren't if it weren't for yeah. and so and i always joke with her i'm like my i am awesome and i do appreciate i i appreciate that you understand how you know so i was and she i mean she comes to thanksgiving she's like my grandma she i've invited her to church she came over to We had convivial Friday night, a big church event and brought her out. You know, she's just, she's like a member of the family. But the reality is, it's like, even for her, I'm like, you know, you're not the exception to the rule. You're the norm. If 87 year old people would do this, they would also get strong. They all get strong. And so people want to come up with these excuses. It's the snowflake problem. Like I can't get strong because I got a bad back or I got a bad knee. Listen, all you guys listening to this podcast, you all have bad backs and bad knees. Who cares? Like you got to learn. What are you going to not get strong? Guess what happens to your back when you get it strong? It becomes less vulnerable to injury. It becomes more resilient. Guess what happens with your bad knee when you make your quads strong? They support the knee. That's what they do. Yeah. And so everybody wants to come up with these excuses on why they can't do the thing. Like, I, look, I get it. Everybody's broken somewhere. Like we're bipeds. We walk around on two legs and, the, and our backs, like our discs, over time, they they. Basically, disintegrate on some level, and so they'll they'll say you got degeneration on this on these discs. But well, yep, everybody does. That doesn't mean we don't lift. We still choose hard things, and so that's what we do. So Sybil is the norm. The eighty-seven year old lady. My wife is the norm, not the exception to the rule. It's just what happens when you train consistently. Is everybody gets strong, and so if you'll choose, your listeners will choose right now today to just start getting strong. And I'll, here's the here's the. Promo, the marketing that I'll give. I, again, I, I tend to try to not send somebody to hire us on day one because, again, I know it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic service. If you decide to sign up for Barbell Logic, we got the best coaches in the world. We'll, we'll pair you with the best coach on earth for you specifically. And your first month's 100% free. But here's what I tell people instead just go to our YouTube channel or our podcast and like, just start watching content. The videos are free. It'll always be free. You can learn like, I don't know how to squat. Search how to squat, Barbell Logic on YouTube. And we got great how to squat videos, how to deadlift. You can do the same thing. So that's usually where I send people first because I know it takes some time to build some trust, to learn that we're the experts in the field and do the thing. But like, that's what I want out of people. And to me, when I come on a show like yours, this is, again, the way I get to build into Christendom. It would be great if people want to hire us. That's great. But that's not the goal. The goal is to get as many of the guys listening to this podcast to in your audience training. And mm-hmm. that means watching videos. Listen, we're doing great. We we do great as a business. And so like what I really want people to do is like listen, watch the videos, listen to our podcast. We do 200,000 downloads a month on the podcast. I've told everything I ever know on how to on strength <laughs> training on the Barbell Logic podcast. There's everything. I mean, I've literally I'm like when you're the subject matter expert, eventually we've done 600 podcasts told everything wow. I know. Videos, same thing. So go there first. The content's for free. Learn how to do this thing and just start. Like, Just be people of action today. Don't just talk about strength training. Like, We've got to actually do the thing. Get under the bar, put a bar on your back, do the best you can, squat, video yourself, watch your video, see what it looks like compared to the video that we did on YouTube and go, look, oh, that's not very good yet. I'm going to clean that up. And like, that's what you do. And the, that's how you get strong. And then you'll find out that when you perform better and you're healthier, you feel better about yourself. Amazingly, you end up being better at your job, better as a husband, better as a father, better as a church leader, better as a business leader. Like all those things start to fall into place. Not because strength training is the best thing, because it's not, but it supports all of those. And that's why we do it.
0: That's fantastic.
2: I find myself, if you're
0: listening and you can't deadlift as much as an 87-year-old woman and you're a man. Yeah. <laughs> you should probably work on that. No, it, ma- it makes, me think of my, um, makes me think of my friend, Glenn. Uh, Glenn is about to turn 70 and he came out. I hosted a men's retreat here in Phoenix two, three weeks ago. And he came out and, and he served as an elder role for the men who were there. And um, Glenn, sometime in the past four or five years, lost like 80 or 90 pounds. Right, He was having health problems lost 80 or 90 pounds. Now he is literally one of the most fit dudes I've ever mm-hmm. seen in my entire life. Like He comes into the gym, you know, we wear sleeveless shirts and the, the dude is, his arms are just incredible. And the dude's 70 years old. Yeah. Like I brought him in and the guy, all the guys in the gym, I, I didn't introduce him to the guys in the gym. They're like, who's that guy over there? We've never seen him before. <laughs> right. And he's just doing these curls. Like, man, I want, I want the 70 year old man's arms, That's right. you know? And it's like, and he, and he's not the, he's not the exception to the rule. He's not some genetic freak. Nope. like This is what's available to all of us yep. if we just if we just stick with it. And, and I wonder if you can just speak for a moment about the necessity of time, because that was one of the things that I really liked in your heart. I started out the conversation talking about the Hard Man podcast that you were on with Eric Kahn. And so now I want to come all the way back around to it. Sure. It's one of the things that you made really clear was that to make meaningful strength and fitness goals takes time. Sure. Right, like you, like I love the breakdown. Like you can't build muscle and lose fat at the same time. That's right. You, they gave the clearest explanation of that. And to really, to really build up, you know, three hundred plus pounds on the bo- on the bar for squatting, four hundred plus pounds. Like it takes years. There's no yep. ninety day, you know, quick qu- quick program that you're going to do. I wonder if you can, you know, you can just rant about that for a minute because I, I love your fitness industry rants as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Well, first, I hate the fitness industry. I hate it. And just as much as I hate bodybuilding, I hate the <laughs> fitness industry. You're like, how does that work? You're a CEO of this fitness company. I just, man, it, it's, again, for your listeners, that are, many of whom are going to be post-mill and have that sort of, the, like the long view, that's the same view we take in the fitness stuff, right? It's not... They better again, be post-mill. Say, they better be post-mill. <laughs> they, they better be. <laughs> so, you've convinced them at this point. Yeah. yeah I mean, like... Yes, I hope and so. so. And so, we, sh- we should be able to take the long view. On this thing and yeah. so again I it's perfectly fine to have goals I like to have goals like you know it's matter of fact we just booked a, a trip down to Mexico in, in June so I'm like all right I've got a goal to like I want to look as good as I can and perform as well as I can for Mexico and that this is this little like short-term goal but in the grand scheme of things it, that's not why I'm doing this I'm doing this for the long-term yeah. health benefits for what it what it gets me again it's not about accomplishing the goal it's what the work itself gets me it's the it's like mm-hmm. you know it's there was something extremely valuable in the squat and deadlift workout I did yesterday at the cabin all by myself, where there's no cameras and there's nobody to see, there's nobody to tell me how great I was like there there's value in that in the work, in the actual work, and so that's when we take that long view, then we then we realize like okay, I'm not trying to get you know it's not seven minute abs or or ninety days to like. A beach body, or like whatever that thing is, it's like it's the work itself. So, so what's great about that is like you can reap the benefits of the work itself today, like tonight, like go to the gym right now, because it's not actually about like how much better you look after the workout. It's the work itself, right? And then there is yeah. this incredible thing that occurs: this stress recovery adaptation cycle that this guy Hans Selye, this this German, figured out back in the, like the twenties. He's just like, it, it, you know, it's it's the it's the you you stress your body in a way it hasn't been stressed before. It recovers and it adapts to that stress, and actually adapts to what would be what could be even a bigger stress than that for next time. Which is why mm-hmm. when we take the long view, we go in. It doesn't matter where you start squatting. When somebody hires me as a coach. I'm like, look, I don't care if you start with the empty bar, 45 pounds. It doesn't matter to me where you start. It doesn't. You know, there are times. It's like when people try to clean themselves up to go to church. Like I need to clean my life up for a good. you're like, no it's the same thing when you start training. Like, man, it doesn't matter where you start. Start with the empty bar, start with 60 pounds, doesn't matter. And then what we can do is we can literally just go in and add five pounds to the bar every workout. And so the crazy thing about that is, is if you add five pounds every workout, and for most of our clients, they squat three times a week. So they're not squatting once a week. They're squatting three times wow. a week. That's 60 pounds a month, they add. 60 pounds on their squat. So if you start at 60, at the end of the month, you're doing 120. And at the end of the next month, you're doing 180. And then, so like pretty mm-hmm. quick, you're like, oh, I'm pretty strong. Like, yeah, you added five pounds per workout three times a week. You added 60 pounds per month. That's what you're doing. So we do that on deadlift. We alternate the bench press and the press. We focus on the four big lifts and do chin-ups and a few other things, but not very much. Our, our exercise pool is pretty small. Uh, it's, you know, it's maybe relatively boring. Training, but when you understand what you're doing, like if I can come in and do the main lifts and add five pounds every workout for four months, why would I do anything else? And that's another problem that people get. They get like, they get bored and they want to, you know, muscle confusion and what, like, what? Just go, just do your job. Put your head down and go into the gym and add five more pounds to the squat bar than you did last time and squat it. And no matter how much you want to quit, don't quit. Just finish and then rack it and then move on to the next exercise. That's what we do. And what you'll find is that while there's tons of value in the work itself, you will actually lose track of time a little bit. And all of a sudden, like three months in, four months in, you'll glance at yourself in the mirror and you'll be like, who's that guy? Because you're a bigger, stronger version of yourself than what you were when you started. As a matter of fact, literally every workout you are, every time you go into the gym, you're a bigger, stronger version of yourself than you were on Friday. And that's that's pretty satisfying. And so the key again comes back to perfect technique, which you can learn from a lot of our videos, and consistency. doing it when you don't want to, understanding that like blue collar days, the punch the time card, get in, get out. There are days that's going to be awesome. Enjoy those days. The days that suck, the days that you're tired, the days that you, you know you want to get it over with, just get in and get it done and get out. And that's how you make progress. because consistency and longevity that that's that's what leads. Like this is, you know, I was talking about our podcast doing well. Man, I, we've recorded every week since 2017. Mm-hmm. So that's what people can't do. Six it's videos. Years. It's, yeah, videos are the same thing. I don't know how many hundreds of YouTube videos we have. Hundreds. All professionally produced. Nothing on a cell phone. Like it's just, it's the long game. You are just playing the long game. You just outlast people. And And it was the same thing here with us, with the business. I mean, the business did pretty well from the beginning. But over time, like we just, we continue to work and get better and work and get better. And pretty soon you're like, Oh, wow, well, we're like one of the biggest online coaching businesses in the world. I was like, well, we've been going since 2016 every day, all the time, 24 hour feedback, no matter what, like, you know, I, we, we have a statistician that works for us. And he was telling us how many millions of squat videos we've broken down. I mean, it's millions of squat videos wow. we've broken down. And so it's, yeah, it's, that's what it is. It's the longevity. I never get sick of it. I love it. I love helping people. I love coaching. Uh, but that's, that's understanding the same way you look at eschatology with the long game. You have, to, you have to look at your fitness life the same way. I'm playing the long game. Like I'm doing this because of what the work provides for me. The voluntary hardship. And oh, by the way, I get to look better and feel better in the process. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Those are fringe benefits though. So.
0: I think you also touch on a little bit of the the father hunger because one of the things I know about what you guys do at Barbell Logic is you know you actually have a coach engaging with the with the with the individual yeah. checking their form, being there, present with them because that's the thing that I ran into. It's like because I tried the online programs, you know, the PDFs, and I was like, I yeah. have a question. I'm I'm three four weeks in and I'm freaking out. I don't know if I'm plateauing yeah. or going the wrong direction. I ask the PDF a question. The PDF doesn't say anything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. So to find that, to so to find an actual person, it's like, Hey, I have no idea what I'm doing help yep. and that they can offer reassurance or correction where necessary. I think that that's super important. Oh, it's a, it's it gets overlooked.
2: Sure. It's the separator for us with the, all the, you know, online oh. coaching that, that term online coaching for most people means buying an online program, but that's not online coaching, right? Like, I wouldn't say I'm your football coach if I sent you a football program and you read the program. Like what makes you a football coach? Well, it's actually coaching the technique. I actually have to teach you how to get in the three-point stance and fire off and hit, you know, whatever the thing is. Fin- strength coaching is the same way. Like if without technique coaching, you're not actually coaching. You're just selling somebody a program. That's on it should be called online programming. Now, the world's not going to listen to me about how they call online coaching the wrong thing, but like that's that's the thing. So, for us one, we have our own software. Everybody gets their own gets personalized programming. We don't use templates or cookie cutter anything. Mm-hmm. Your, your program is all for you. But the thing, the real separator is you get paired with a coach that's specific to your needs and like your demographics. So, you know, we've got people that are, you know, I don't know, postpartum moms or whatever. I've got female coaches that do that, whatever it is. And so you video your lifts every single workout and upload them on our app. And then your coach fully breaks that down in a screen recording within 24 hours of you doing your workout. So by the time you get mm. to your next workout, you have the feedback from the coach. Well, nobody else do, does that. And that, that's all built into our software, screen recording software, all this stuff. So you like you see yourself squatting, but you hear my voice as a voiceover. And it's you know, I can record it right here on the podcast. Microphone and stuff. It works great. So it's uh, it's pretty nice. And it's, it definitely leads to building a relationship with your clients. So like you said, that kind of scratches some of that father itch or some of that like you know having having somebody who's an authority on some level like even the clients say all the time when they have to turn the camera on so let's say they're they're going to film their last set of squats they're going to do squats 225 for three sets of five well the first set first couple sets like yeah maybe they sandbag it a little bit but they turn on the video for the third set they start recording themselves they're like i got to do this perfect because coach is watching So yeah. it, it raises the standard. It raises the bar. And so that's, again, that's why I think people do so well. And then The crazy thing is, and we, we're we super dedicated to great customer service and whatnot, but like, man, our our client retention rate is 97.5% per month. 2.5% churn. That's unheard of in the fitness industry. That's mm. unheard of in almost any industry. But in the fitness industry, it's unheard of. And it's, it's one of the reasons the business continues to value higher and higher is because our customer service is so great, we don't lose anybody. If people... And so... Again, I'm, I'm starting to sound like a commercial now. But what we our, our sales pitch is that when somebody signs up for Barbell Logic, their first month's 100% free. There's no contract. There's no like, what's the catch? There's no catch. Your first month's 100% free. We pair you with the right coach. If you'll try it for a month, you will stay for the rest of your life. That's my customer acquisition cost. I still pay your coach full pay. Like whoever your coach is gets full pay. So that's my cost as a company. But I'd rather give it to you in your free, first month free, then give it to Zuckerberg on Facebook. And so that's, that's where we decided to spend our marketing money. So the first month's 100% free. You don't have to stay, but everybody stays. And so that's, that's, that's the pitch. I mean, that's, that's why it works. So yeah, it's, it's worked great. Love it. Have a great team. Have a great business. I mean, people that are surround me are incredible. Our coaches are nuts, man. They're, they're fantastic. So couldn't ask for a better team to work with, and I get to—I still get to coach some, and I'm coaching Eric Kahn and and some of those guys, and and um, I have a—I have a blast coaching. But you know, I love being a CEO at this point. Really, my life is—I'm mostly a CEO, and that's uh so I get up every morning and I knock out the super early. I get up before 4:30. 4, I don't set an alarm. I always wake up early and and I knock out the urgent stuff, the online coaching stuff, and then I get to spend the rest of my day being a CEO. And by three o'clock or so in the afternoon, I shut it down and. And I get to be husband and, and dad, which is a pretty sweet life.
0: That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I uh, I I really recommend everyone listening if you're looking for a strength training fitness program to go to Barbell Logic. And the only re- that Barbell Logic, the only reason that I don't train with you guys is that I train with my buddy Sean, who I go to church
2: with every week. Yeah, you were so like, so that. well, that's great.
0: Yeah, and so like if I didn't have if I didn't if I didn't have Sean and we have a great time, we train and and chat and we re, and, and really pour into each other's lives. Like I would be training with you if if uh, sure. if that if that were the case. So um, and I know that you train Tanner Guzzi and and yeah. a bunch of other guys, which is how I heard about you it was through it was through Tanner
2: yeah. singing your praises. Shout out Tanner. Yeah, Tanner's great, and Tanner's fixed my style. So same. <laughs> Tanner <laughs> recommended what right. I'm wearing now. That's right. Yeah. the white shoes and the shorty shorts and the polos. <laughs> it's no, we not good. A, bu- a bunch <laughs> of my not... coaches uh, have utilized Tanner since too, and uh, it's always interesting. It's like you when you see them, or even our clients. I have clients at Barbell Logic. We'll go to a, like a powerlifting meet or a, or a seminar or something, and I can tell if they've hired Tanner as a coach because yeah. I can tell that I'm like, oh, like he he looks the way he's dressing is fantastic. So, and that's a big part of it too. Again, I, I think sometimes we can take the aesthetic side of this, and we sort of as Christians can kind of you know poop on it a little bit and you're like ah it's just aesthetics doesn't matter but like uh, the your appearance matters and what you're trying to convey like as as somebody who's trying to convey some amount of you know dominance or or whatever that is right so authority authority and what i'm trying to say like the way you dress matters like if i if i'm in sloppy clothes a big ratty t-shirt cargo shorts it's not conveying what i want to convey and so, and that's actually t- was tough for me when I first hired Tanner because I'm a CEO of a multi-million dollar company, but it's a fitness company. And so I don't dress like mm-hmm. I'm not wearing suits. So how do I dress so that it's like, okay, this guy's professional and he looks, I mean, you can even see like in the background in my, in my office and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think about those things. You know, there's not dirty laundry on the floor, which I, I'm amazed right. at how often I do a Zoom call and somebody's got dirty laundry in the background. I'm like, what? what's it's going insane. on? It's insane. It's crazy. There's like, toys everywhere or something. So... Yeah, I think about that kind of stuff, and so that stuff matters, and certainly the tanner will tell you the very best thing you can ever do for your style is get in shape. It, you know, you lose the spare tire, lose the 20-pound gut, and uh, it's amazing how much better clothes will fit. And so all, it all helps tremendously well, and those are nice having that synergistic industries to work with, for sure. We'll get a bunch of good, good buddies and friends like that.
0: Yeah, exactly yeah and I think I think it's something I think everything that you we've talked about today is so important for Christian men to begin thinking about you know supporting your brothers, getting in shape, upgrading your style, really and, and recognizing that it's all for the purpose of building into Christendom that's right like all these things they fit together they're not separate pieces of different things no. they're all the same pieces of the same thing and this is this is what I'm trying to really impress upon men with the whole notion of the Renaissance is that there is a rebirth happening and it's not any one aspect of this. It's not just the materialism or it's not the Gnosticism. It's everything. We have to somehow be in the world, not of the world, right. aware of the spiritual, but not, you know, not, not floating up in the air. And this is, it's such an enormous ask for men, but, but I think, I think um, it's an obligation for Christian men. And I think that's reflected in the Bible. Yep. Like it's, it's very scriptural to see the way that the, that the men in the new Testament acted with the old Testament for that matter. But it, it's, the benefits in, in this life are, are immeasurable. And if you have salvation carrying you into the next, why would you not want to have both those things That's right.
2: together? That's good. Yeah. Love it.
0: Yeah. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for your, your time today, Matt. I've, awesome, I've really appreciated this conversation and, and all of your, your wealth of uh, insight and your passion for these
2: topics. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I've been a fan. I'm excited to get to know you more. And- <laughs> And, uh, no, thank you so much for letting me tell my story on the, sh- on the show.
0: You're welcome. Welcome. I got to get myself out to Springfield for sure.
2: Yeah, for sure. Get, we've got good coffee and good squatting. So we need to I get like ourselves out to feet. actually, I love your church too. So I, uh, I would love to hear at some point how you, how you found apologia out in the middle of nowhere. So did you, did you pick up that it was just this like great church and like, did you, did you have a contact? How did you originally find your church?
0: Oh, um. I, I discovered them through their podcast. Okay. I don't remember how, um, maybe it was, maybe, th- maybe Instagram suggested something. And I remember seeing that they were going to do an anti-abortion protest at the state Capitol. And I was like, oh, any church that's doing an anti-abortion protest at the state Capitol, is probably a church that I want to go to. Awesome. And so, uh, I, <laughs> I went looking for information about where the church met and I didn't, I, I wasn't able to find anything at the time. This was, this was, uh, this was in 2020, 2021, something like that, and then I spoke at the, the 21 convention, speaking in the Manosphere, in 2021, and Michael Foster was there. Oh yeah, and that's I was right. like, "Oh yeah, there's, a, there's, this of yeah, yeah um, there's this apology at church. Yeah, yeah. There's this apology church in Phoenix, um, and, but I don't know if they're meeting, and he's like, "Oh, I think Jeff is probably still going." So, <laughs> so he, he pointed me and my that's buddy awesome. Sean in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. I love
2: it. So That's a great, that's great, dude. How funny that you like, fell into those guys. Like, and now, uh-huh. I mean, you've been in it long enough to know, like, you realize it's like one of the best churches in the United States. <laughs> like you just got yes. lucky. <laughs> you got lucky. So no, it's great. Yeah. That's what, and that's, that's what we love about churches. Like, yeah, like you guys. And again, like what's going on in, in Moscow or in Ogden or, or here that, you know, it's, you're building these little pockets of Christendom where you are. And it's a, uh, it's pretty cool. So it's been awesome that I get to help with that some and uh, make men stronger for sure. And and wives, absolutely, we make them stronger too. It's yeah. okay, nothing wrong that's with a, that
0: either. So, does your wife ever do podcasts? Because I feel like there's got to be something for for wives <laughs> and barbell mine, training. She's done like, mine a got... few
2: times. Yeah, so I mean, again, I'm not. I always have co hosts and stuff. But we had my sure. original co host. We had both our wives on. We've had them on like three times, and they're super popular episodes. They're hilarious, and and uh, we had a few drinks beforehand to loosen them up, and then, <laughs> and then they they. <laughs> They end up uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun, so you know she's funny she's uh my wife is awesome, and she's uh she's extremely wise, but she's you know it's it's funny, she balances me out and they're like, I'm the guy that's always like in the limelight, and i'm the c e o and then she's wants to be kind of behind the scenes, and she's much more quiet and you know doesn't necessarily want to be the public speaker and but it's funny when she when she says stuff like you know well. In Sunday school or something, she'll say something, and I'm just like, "Whoa, that was like super deep and super wise." And she's just sitting there chewing on stuff, and then she'll say something. And I'm like, "Wow, she's so." It's great because we've we have a fantastic relationship. We get to bounce things off each other, and she knows I'm the one that's going to verbally process, and she's the one that's going to sit there and sort of silence and chew through stuff, and then she says something, and I'm like, "Okay, that's super wise," <laughs> nice. you know. Says so <laughs> and and we met. I met in eight, we I met her in eighth grade. Yeah, she's my high school oh. sweetheart. Met in youth group at church, and just the way it's supposed to be, man. I just wish I'd had a few more kids. Nobody told us, you know, we didn't understand that rule, so we had two kids, and wish I had about six of them. But, uh but yeah, you know, we didn't didn't really understand the. A lot of that kind of stuff has changed over the years for us. So, so that's okay. I've told my kids I gotta give me a million grandbabies, and and uh they'll pick up where I left off. So.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got a couple, I've got a couple minutes left before I got to go, but, um, does, does your wife, uh, does your wife advocate for barbell strength training for women? Like, is that a oh, subject yeah, that comes sure. up?
2: Because yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. And then actually like, again, a lot of our coaches, I, I've got, I've got some fantastic female coaches. We we try to set people up. We don't say this overtly, but we, we tend to men typically get male coaches and women typically get female coaches. Occasionally we'll have a coach sure. that coaches a husband and wife team, you know, so it's, maybe it's a female coach, the husband and wife right. or a male, whatever. But, um, but our female coaches are, they're great and they're strong and they look, you know, they look the part. They don't look like, you know, they're not masculine. They're extremely effeminate. They're or feminine, extremely feminine. And they, and they look the part, they look healthy. They're super, um, they, they have, um, they have a level of confidence that's not, that doesn't get into arrogance. Right. So it's, and there's, there's that kind of false sense of confidence that you see people have. Sometimes it's not that at all. They're just, their wives and moms and they're strength coaches. They're like 45-year-old soccer mom ladies, a lot like my wife. My wife's a really good coach too. She doesn't work for us or anything, doesn't want to, she wouldn't want to work for me, probably. <laughs> but but they're great <laughs> at what they do. And so yeah. So my my wife's done a great job of of just advocating that, but also just the other female coaches that work for us are fantastic. And so, um, you know, and they're it's interesting that my business isn't, you know, isn't overtly a Christian business. It's a, I mean, it's a fitness business. And so we've got all sorts of Coaches and stuff, but it's it's interesting the way as time has gone on, how the majority of my employees have sort of adopted a very similar worldview as as what mm-hmm. I have, and um, you know obviously they, everybody's super aware of how how I live my life and what I believe, and you know I try not to jam anything down anybody's throat, but it's interesting how I think I think there's something in strength training as well. You have to take personal responsibility for like again nobody's going to make you squat. So there's not a lot of victims in strength training. I don't know if you've seen, there's actually, I've seen articles, you've probably seen these before about how guys that lift weights tend to be more on the right politically. Have you seen these articles? Yeah. Yeah, Well, Of, like, course. of course they are because, because people that are on the left are victims and victims don't squat. Victims complain about squatting or whatever. So it's interesting <laughs> how, you know. It's so heavy. <laughs> right? Isn't it crazy? So it's interesting. It's like, oh, if I'm going to take personal responsibility and put a heavy barbell on my back, then that that works itself out in other places in your life. And so I see it's funny like you know we we try to be very careful to be generally apolitical and a religious in in the business because I'm just trying to get everybody strong. Like legitimately I'm just trying to help people get strong. I think for some people that is often the step that they need to take to improving their life in what may be like a long-term actual spiritual change in their life. Again, I don't think squatting gets anybody saved, but I think it's important. But it is interesting <laughs> Over time, how people are like, oh, it's interesting. It's just like I've I've just no, I haven't said it out loud, but I've just noticed more and more people like, yeah, these strength coaches, these people that squat, they all kind of, you know, they've all got a gaggle of kids. They all have seven kids, and like, oh yeah, all my all my strength coaching mamas that work for me all have six kids and live in Montana, and they're <laughs> I'm like, interesting. I did you know? So yeah, it's it's really wild, but. I guess that's what I guess we've set our culture correctly. So maybe that's what it is. We've got good core values, I guess. So. Do you find that the people who work for you in the company who aren't
0: Christian have they come around? I don't know how much you can talk about that. You know, um, but like, is that is that something that you experience happening in and around your company? Let's yeah, say I had
2: really good conversations with people in my in my company for sure. Um, you know, when we travel and and go to seminars, we we always try to get a big Airbnb or something instead of doing separate hotel rooms. Yeah. And so we get to have a lot of time to work together and talk and, you know, they've seen my life and they also know, they know my past as well. And so I haven't, you know, hidden that stuff either. So they, they know that I've gone through a major change. And so, yeah, we've had great conversation. I've got, I've got, you know, I've got a a good group of Christians that work for me. And then another group that I, I don't think anybody is hostile towards the gospel, which is interesting because Romans tells us that they are so but i i think we've right. i've been able to create a such a you know a culture that it's safe to talk about that kind of stuff and they know that i'm not going to judge them again i'm playing the long game right so it's not my job to evangelize it's my job to disciple and so to teach the gospel and and i let god do what god does and so because of that you know they don't have to worry about i'm not a used car salesman with the gospel with my with my employees right. and so um yeah i think that culture is shown through pretty pretty um Pretty intently at Barbell Logic for sure, and then you know it's been nice. They they've allowed me to do stuff like you know like your podcast, your podcast, is a controversial podcast. We got into Eric Kahn's same sort of thing, and so is it. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> is it a podcast? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. It oh, okay, is, it is. If you run a multi million dollar company like mine, then it's like it's a, oh, okay. but it's but it's good because like, you know while Barbell Logic <laughs> has been able to stay relatively oh, apolitical and a religious, like they've let me go on. These podcasts to do these things to be able to talk about this stuff, and so you know that's what, that's what mean. I mean. So, you know, we uh, obviously Barbell Logic is not going to take a super hard stand on on anything political or whatnot. I mean, and it's it's a corporation, so it doesn't have morality because sure. it's a. But I'm very grateful that that my company and my employees and my investors and my shareholders let me go on podcasts and talk about whatever I want to talk about as a on a personal level, which is pretty nice. So I've yeah, got they to do they that. Let and you be
0: yourself.
1: That
0: itch. Yeah, they let you. They let you be yourself, yep. and you know they don't. They don't make you censor yourself for the benefit of the company because all these things are you, and, and, and right. your theology, you know, feeds into your business. and for Your sure. eschatology feeds into it as well, and you can't separate these things. Nope, that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's been great. Excellent. So where would you like to send men and women to find out about you and sure. Barbell Logic and where can they get started?
2: So Barbell Logic is super easy to find uh, it, anywhere. Obviously, you can just Google Barbell Logic. It comes up, the uh, website's barbellogic.com. You can, we're on all the social medias. Um, I'm Reynolds at Reynolds Strong on, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, where I, if you want to follow me personally, which is a lot more like reformed posting, so fitness and reform. <laughs> mostly reform stuff. Uh, Barbell Logic is a great place to go. You can check out the online coaching there. But again, one of the best places to go is to check out our, our content. So YouTube, if you go to YouTube and just search Barbell Logic, you'll see all kinds of great videos there, as well as the Barbell Logic podcast. And again, I think there's 500 or 600 episodes there. That, is, that podcast is in, a, is in a very systematic, logical progression of strength training. So you can go back to the very beginning and just listen to the most basics of strength training. And then it walks through more and more advanced sort of stuff as we go along along the line and so uh, there's an entire series on programming or or technique or whatever you can find on the podcast as well again i always try to send people there because all that content's free will always be free we're a service business we make money from service so that means i don't have to make money from content which means the content's never going to be behind a paywall i don't think there's anything wrong with putting content behind a paywall, paywall. but for us that's the way we get people into the funnel so so that's where I would say, hey, just consume the content. You can literally Google any question you have in the fitness world and ask any question and type the word to Barbell Logic. And we I promise you we'll have a podcast or a video or an article about that. And so we try to answer every question you could ever come up with. Uh, I've got great articles too. I've got my editor-in-chief as an attorney, no longer a practicing attorney, but work, you know, works for us as an editor-in-chief. He's a phenomenal writer. So we've got written word spoken word on the podcast and videos as well on YouTube. Uh, so that's where I'd go first.
0: Fantastic. All right. I'll, I'll be sure to send everyone there because, you know, fitness and Christendom are, those are hot topics right now. Those are, that is very much up and, uh, and having good resources to send men and women to I think is is crucial. So that's really valuable for me to know because I have my own questions.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. And you guys can reach out anytime. I love Getting questions as well, like on Twitter. If, you, if you'll ask me a question on Twitter, I, you know, you guys from Eric Kahn's podcast ask me questions all the time. Again, at Reynolds Strong on Twitter. Uh, happy to look at, you know, obviously I don't want 10,000 of these, but like so, sometimes people take a video of their squat and they're like, hey, I'm happy to look at something like that from somebody in the community. So if you, you know, you got any questions for me, feel free to reach out. I'll always respond uh, on Twitter or Instagram or wherever. Easy to find. Also easy to find my email as well. You can just Google my name as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's been great.